Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Police has the sign he wants. Freeze waiting. The 1-2, and a fastball hit to right field. Going back is Cruz, and it is off the wall. It bounces back toward the infield. Pujols scores. Berkman scores. Freeze into third. It's tied. The pitch, and a swing and a little blooper. Drops into center for a base hit. Jay will come in to score. Pujols around to third. On the single by Berkman. Sorry we're late. It was the show before us that got us late. At 7.05, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We weren't celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 Cardinals World Championship. It's Carriker and Smallman, Michelle and Randy. Great to have you with us. Cardinals off last night. The Padres won yesterday. The Reds won yesterday. Cardinals have a half-game lead over the Padres in the wild card race. A game over the Reds. And the Padres are in town. They are going to send Vince Velasquez, who... Seems like I remember him being a Philadelphia Philly last week. He's going to the mound against Miles Michaelis tonight. And today, Michelle, first of all, good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you, Randy. Good morning. Happy Friday to you. Looking forward to talking to Mark McGuire later in the show. We're going to talk to John Mozalak about the 10-year anniversary and their reminiscences of that season. And obviously, Game 6 is what we all remember, but there's so much that went into that season. The Cardinals went 18-8 and in September that year, as we all know they overcame a 10 and a half game deficit in the division there were so many memorable games in september and october and throughout the course of the morning people can weigh in with their mic drop feature on the 101 espn app or they can send us a text your favorite memory from that season uh, boy i can remember like it was yesterday in june the back-to-back game-winning home runs by Pujols on saturday and sunday saturday matt holiday was going to have 
uh, wine tasting in Clayton after the game, and the game just goes forever. <laughs> it was the uh, it was I think a one fifteen game. The wine tasting was supposed to start at five, and the game is still going at five. And then finally, Albert ends it at like five thirty. And then lo and behold, the next day, bottom of the ninth inning, Albert does it again to the Cubs of all teams, and the Cardinals were in good shape until August started. They were in first place when August started, but then August we know bad months here in St. Louis. That was a disaster. It was, but Albert Pujols, the guy, rises to the occasion when the Cardinals need him. We actually watched the video of that yesterday, and I miss that feeling of even when the stakes are as high as they can possibly be, when Albert Pujols steps into the box as a Cardinals fan, as a packed Bush stadium, you almost know what's going to happen. Like if there was betting at that moment and you could bet from your chair (laughs) on your, on your cell phone, when he steps into the box, don't you feel like you'd throw down a bet? Albert is going to win this game. And I I miss that intensity, that look that he had, that, that Mm -hmm. swing and that was an unbelievable game. Yeah, you really only back. get one opportunity to see the best right-handed hitter of your era. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And who who always delivers. He was remarkable. And tomorrow, the team is going to be in town. Obviously, Albert is with the Dodgers. He'll be uh, beating up on the Reds for us. Thank so you, Albert. Thanks, Albert. We do mm-hmm. appreciate that. Tony is with the White Sox. He won't be here. Mark McGuire has... One daughter playing in North Orange County, playing soccer. One daughter playing in South Orange County. So we, we interviewed Mark yesterday, and uh, we'll hear from him later. But he won't be here. But uh, Chris Carpenter is going to be here. David Freeze is going to be here. So many of the really important members of that 2011 Cardinals will be at the ballpark tomorrow. And speaking of Chris Carpenter, I think that that's my favorite moment from that season. Game six is game six. It mm-hmm. is iconic. It's a standalone. But... Chris Carpenter is my favorite Cardinal of all time just because of his intensity, the the dominance that he exuded. You don't mess with baseball Jesus. Right. And he just kept coming back, which was the personification of that team. They just would not die. And when they get into the NLDS versus the Phillies, Game 5, Halliday, Carpenter, the stakes are so high. Both of these guys are friends. And I will never forget Randy, Chris Carpenter, throwing a three-hit shutout, outpitching Roy Holiday. Mm-hmm. Carpenter Ending it with Ryan Howard grounding to second. He falls in the grass with that injury. The Cardinals celebrating and 46,530 people dead (laughs) silent. It was awesome. Well, I I felt bad for Ryan Howard. Of course, of course. But but no one going into that thought the Cardinals could do it. Even though they got hot and even though they went on this unbelievable run and they seemed like a team that had some magic, they had the happy flight, you just didn't think that the Cardinals were going to be able to defeat the Phillies. They didn't seem like a team that were going to be out in early October. And so for Chris Carpenter to say, hey, boys, just give me one run. Mm-hmm. I've got this and go out and do it. I'll never forget that game. And the other thing about that year, Chris Carpenter started one and seven with a four point four seven ERA. And he wound up winning. I think I believe it was 14 games. He won. No, only 11. He went 11 and nine, but starts one and seven, finishes 11 and nine and was not good at the beginning of the season. So he was kind of a microcosm of what the Cardinals were in September, getting off to the bad start. He turned things around earlier than the team did, but 
everybody got hot in September, which was absolutely remarkable. Yeah, if you think about that game, it's Raphael Furcal and Skip Schumacher that had a triple and a double that they gave the Cardinals the 1-0 lead that ended up being what seals the deal. But it's not necessarily Albert Pujols all the time that did it. It was Furcal, it was Schumacher, obviously David Freeze got hot. All of those guys contributed. Lance Berkman was huge in the World Series. And that's the perfect example, that team, of not necessarily being the best team, but the team that played best when they needed to play best, and that's October. Philadelphia was the best team that year, and by all rights, they were more talented, and the Cardinals should not have been able to beat the Phillies, but they did. There were better players than John Jay and Daniel Descalso and David Freeze And, and, Alan and Craig. Punto. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were better players around baseball. Actually, if you look at lineups, the Rangers had a better lineup oh, yeah. than the Cardinals that year. The Cardinals were not the best team. But magical things happened for them And that happens for a lot of teams that win championships I'm probably heading into the playoffs A lot of teams look at the Cardinals roster And they looked at that collection of Memphis Mafia guys And they said, who? Who are Mm -hmm. these guys? Yes, we know Chris Carpenter. Yes, we know Yadier Molina. Of course, they have Albert Pujols. They could, Lance Berkman. They they know a lot of the marquee names, but they're probably looking at the lineup that's going out there every day, and they're going, who? David Mm -hmm. Freeze? Alan Craig? John Jay? Who? Things like that. And But that's why... I am so appreciative that that feeling is back in St. Louis. I don't know how long it's going to last. We're not comparing this team to that team, even though there are a lot of parallels this year, whether it's Mo going out and getting some pitching at the deadline that helps a team get into the postseason or a team being really far back and having a terrible month and scratching and clawing their way back in. There's a lot of things that are similar, but... I just I look at that team and so many things had to fall their way, but they never gave up that the mental toughness of that team. Mm -hmm. The Blues, too, that won the Stanley Cup championship here in St. Louis when they were in dead last. And a lot of things in the playoffs didn't go their way. The hand pass game. Mm Mental toughness of those two championship teams are, are something that I'll always hold really high on. I'll never forget how tough they had to be to get to the finish line. One other point I want to make about that regular season is that the bullpen, and normally a team during the course of a season, a championship team, is going to change closers. It, usually the guy that starts your season as your closer is not going to end the season as your closer. But that team had Fernando Salas with 24 saves, led them. Mott finished the season as the closer had nine in between. I don't remember Eduardo Sanchez. I seriously do not remember (laughs) Eduardo Sanchez. And And you remember everything. (laughs) And he had five saves and a 1.80 ERA for the Cardinals pitched in 26 games. Don't remember him at all. Mitchell Boggs had four saves. Dotel came on, had a couple of saves after the Cardinals acquired him. Trevor Miller had a save. Lance Lynn had a save. Ryan Franklin had a save. So the Cardinals had a myriad of people who were at one point or the other charged with getting the last out of the ninth inning. That was another weird part about that season. It was fun. It was a roller coaster ride, and the Cardinals are going to celebrate it tomorrow. We're celebrating it today, and we want to get your favorite memories of the 2011 campaign. Cardinals, Padres tonight, 7.15. Danny Mac will have the call on Bally Sports. By the way, Danny Mac not in with us today on 101 ESPN. So Michelle and I are going to 11 o'clock. That's right. So we're 7-11 today. We're always open. I love that. Do we get Slurpees? 
7-Eleven, if you are a 7-Eleven owner or decision maker, you should get some Slurpees over to 101 ESPN Pronto <laughs> because we just gave you a plug. Uh, and it's 11647 Olive in Creepcore. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. What's yeah. your Slurpee of choice? Because mine is always the Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is good. If they, if they have a Dr. Pepper Slurpee in-house, though. Never um, had that one. Ooh, Dr. Pepper Slurpee is strong. I love a DP, but I'm the type of person that if I know I like something and it's on the menu, we're not deviating. And a Coca-Cola Slurpee. I went on a road trip in 2020, stopped at a 7-Eleven, got a Coca-Cola Slurpee. Man, did that thing take me back to my childhood. That thing still hits. Do you do that at restaurants? Joan orders the same thing at restaurants all the time. Like, she'll find something on the menu, and then that's it. Do that's you do, it. That's, same that's thing. What you do the same thing? Oh, yeah, same thing. The only way I'll ever change is if someone next, someone that I'm with orders something else, uh-huh. and I try a bite of it, and it's amazing, then maybe the next time I will okay. switch it up. I deviate a lot. Do you? Yeah, I like the variety. Variety is the spice of life. I just know my palate. I know what I like. And if I'm going out and I'm spending the money, I want to enjoy it. Well. There's always, if I look at a menu, there are certain ingredients that if it's in a dish, I'm going to order it. Right. Sure. I, I get that. So I'll, I'll, but I'll deviate a little bit. There are some things that I just won't go near, and then some things that I prefer. Like if somebody has a, a nice tutamare, I'm going to order tutamare. I'm going to order that. Thursday night football last night, the red, the the Washington football team. Good job. <laughs> Thank Good. you very much. That was impressive. Uh, with a last second drive from Taylor Heineke to set up the game winning field goal, and they beat the very large men thirty to twenty nine. <laughs> Taylor Heineke, the former Battlehawk. Yeah, I feel like we need to say Battlehawk legend, Kukaw! except yeah, he was. Jordan Tiamu was really the Battlehawk legend. <laughs> Taylor Heineke, this is why life and sports is so funny. Here's a guy who was an XFL quarterback, not even the starting XFL quarterback for your St. Louis Battlehawks, and now he's leading the Washington football team to a victory on Thursday Night Football. Now he's QB1 for an NFL team. It's remarkable. Good for him. That just shows you how good the Battlehawks were and how deep that talent was, and if the pandemic didn't happen, that the Battlehawks would have won the XFL championship. They would have, and we would have had against L.A. Ugh. well over 40,000 people in that dome. Big time. Would have been great. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Your peak and pit of the week coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Is time for Peak and Pit on 101 ESPN. What was your peak of your week? What was your pit of your week? Text us now, 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, what do you got? Well, Randy, there was a lot of peaks this week. Mm-hmm. This was a great week, but I have to say the Cardinals sweeping the Mets. It was so fun to watch Cardinals baseball and to watch this team clicking in all facets. And I have to say, it was amazing for us to talk to Lars Newbar and then have him make that yeah. unbelievable, crucial catch because the character and small bump exists. But I would just say watching Cardinals baseball, which is probably the first time I could say that all season, that that's been my peak. It's a good peak. It's a really good peak. And looking forward to more this weekend. Yeah. should be really fun. And Randy, I think my pit, I have two pits. My first pit is all of the Cardinals fans that we heard from, and there were so many of them this week that didn't even want the Cardinals to make the playoff. Mm-hmm. That really bums me out. I can't imagine cheering for a team and pouring so much 
so many resources, time, money, energy into a team and not even wanting them to make the playoffs. I don't think you're really cheering for a team if you don't want them to make the playoffs. Like to the person who said 2011 and 2006 were net <laughs> negatives, you were my you were my pit. I'm sorry, you were. And then my other pit, Randy, yesterday I was opening a can of chickpeas and completely sliced my finger on the can. I feel like that happens. It was... Uh, I. The amount of blood, I, I thought I was going to need to go to the emergency room. I had to, like, fancy a tourniquet on my finger. I was almost late to stapes because I was bleeding so much. All for a can of chickpeas. It's not even like it was something that was awesome. Healthy, good for you. Yeah, I mean, we're trying over here. Yeah. But that is certainly a pit. Okay. Uh, Michelle, my peak was having more points than Adam Wainwright. Even though we weren't great, we had more oh, points than Adam really Wainwright in our... Uh, our fantasy football league with big league impact. So that was good. We're off to a, an okay start. We'll do better this week. But we beat Adam. We did beat Adam, and that was important for us. So that that was absolutely my peak of the week. And my pit of the week was M-I-Z-Z-O-U, mm-hmm. going to Kentucky and not winning a game that they have to win. Yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah. And uh, just didn't have enough guys, just didn't have enough big guys to be able to dominate Kentucky. Pretty soon they'll be at that point, but that was my pit of the week. All right, Emily. Uh, Emily's peak of the week, by the way, was her birthday. Was it? Um, Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you have a pit or was it just Emily Palooza? Pit? No, I would say probably not. Okay, good. Probably not. And I know that somebody will text in, they better, that uh, the St. Louis weather this week has just been incredible. Oh, it absolutely has. Beautiful. Actually, you know what? I'm going to steal Michelle's pit, the net negative. That was uh, <laughs> ridiculous. I, I don't know if that was a pit or if it was just really funny. Probably both. I think it was funny. It was laughable. You know, I just think of the BLIS as our friends. And mm. if a friend said that to me, I might open palms, smack them in the face. <laughs> I would say, what? I'm sorry, What? Explain yourself. How dare you? How dare you say that about two championships? Pretty funny. <laughs> From the 314 pit, accidentally sending a text to Danny Mac meant for my wife. Hmm. Oh, I hope it was. I wonder if we got a love you babe in there. Peak, hearing him read the text on air. Okay, so it must, it must not have been NSFW. No. Uh, Dan run it on air. Pretty funny. Please text the text to the text line. Yeah, let us know what it was. What was it? Maybe a grocery list? It could be. Hey, babe, picked up some lettuce. Yeah. See you at home. (laughs) Smooches. (laughs) From uh, this one from Lisa. Peak Cardinals playing great during birthday week. Pitt realizing I've aged out of amphitheater's lines. Too long, LOL. Oh. Oh. I don't know if she's referencing Stapes last night, but there were... I felt like all of St. Louis was there. I believe really? she was at Stapes. I think I remember her texting that in the other day. Well, Lisa, I hope you enjoyed Stapes as much as I did. Randy, I know Stapes is your guy. Stapes and I are tight, yeah. Were you there? No, I was uh, I, I was paying attention to two things. Number one, Emily has turned me on to a new Netflix show called Clickbait. Did you watch Start It? Uh, we almost ended it. Yeah, wow. we're, we're rolling. Okay, I need and to get on that. And then I watched the second half of the uh, WFT game to watch Heineke. Our boy. Yeah. From the 314 peak, having my what's better text read on the air, Pitt, Randy, and Michelle didn't struggle at all. I don't know what that means. Hmm. Hmm. I guess during fantasy football, maybe? Maybe they're in the fantasy football league? Oh, that could be. But we we did struggle. We just had more points than Adam. Yeah. We had... Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. We struggled. Believe me. Yeah, thanks a lot, A.A. Ron. We're going back to that well this week, if you're okay with that. 
You're going back to Aaron Rodgers? Against Detroit. Is it going to happen twice in a row? I don't know, Randy, but can we pick more of a sure thing? There is no more of a sure thing than Aaron Rodgers. That's what you told me last week. That's what we said last week. Well... The the Saints didn't have any cornerbacks. They were all their they were signing cornerbacks off the street to play on Sunday. And look what happened. I know. This is what I'm saying. Dan Campbell, they're gonna be biting knees over there. But in Green Bay. It and doesn't matter. A desperate Packers team against the Lions? Why can't we go with someone a little bit more safe? Okay, we'll Maybe Patrick we can, Mahomes? We'll kind of find we'll try to find somebody a little more stable. We'll, we can work on that. Is that the most recency bias thing ever? One bad game out of Aaron Rodgers? Totally. <laughs> totally. Get someone a little bit more stable. <laughs> oh, we have some clarity. It's didn't struggle answering my what's better. Thank you for the clarity. Oh. What's better? From the 314 pit, no sleep with a crabby kid. Peak your intro to the show this morning. I feel like I can run through a wall now. Yes, good work, Emily. That Glad was that. an unbelievable open. Thank and you. that's what brings us back to those special moments. And it's great to have that feeling again. After you hear that open, you it brings you back to that improbable run and a team that was 10 and a half games out that everybody gave up on except for those guys inside that clubhouse. And it reminds you that all you have to do is punch your ticket to the dance and All you have to do is get in and see what happens. Let the magic take over. Okay, Michelle, here are your choices uh, to replace the uh, terrible Aaron Rodgers. Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, and I believe those two go against each other, Cowboys and You know I'm a big Herbert girl. Uh Uh-huh. Hertzie, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford. You probably won't pick him. Uh, You won't pick him. No. No. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Jameis. Or if you want to go with Baker Mayfield, you can do that, too. Let's look at some of these matchups. We'll we'll confer during the break. Okay, we'll get you a quarterback by the end of the show. Are you dead set on an A-Ron? Because no, I'm fine not with dead it. Set. I'm, I'm never, fine with it. Never dead set on any player. The worst thing you have, the worst thing, as Coach Vermeil would say, worst thing about being a GM, there's no such thing as a gotta have. There, You can't have a gotta have because then you'll mess up the rest of your team. I... Don't, that's interesting because I feel like there's so many players on that team that were gotta haves. But they weren't gotta haves when he got them. Yeah, good point. Good point. They were proven, pro- well, except for Kurt Warner, obviously, yeah. proven commodities. From the 636 pit, my dad is on hospice. Oh, sorry. I'm peak, so sorry. Peak being able to keep him updated on the cards playoff push. Oh, that's That'll so sweet. Hopefully, keep him happy and comfortable during these times. That's right. We're sorry for your family. For sure. Peak went to the ballpark last Saturday and going again this Saturday. Nice. Pit? No pit. It's Friday. Oh, there you go. That's right. It is F-R-I-D-A-Y. Oh. It's Friday. I knew you were going to go Rebecca Black on us. I yeah. knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am. That just happened. Yep. By the way, I'm going to hang with uh, Michelle and Emily tomorrow. We're going to talk to Jason Tatum. We're going to have that interview for you on Monday morning. And then on Sunday, I'm hanging with another of my good friends, Greg Amsinger. So that'll be fun. We're going to go to the ballpark. Looking forward to that. That'll be great. I am going to the ballpark after we hang with Jason Tatum. 2011 Seven. World Series reunion. Can't miss that. What was the song for the 2011 team? Hmm. Did we have a song? Well, they had Rally Squirrel. They had Happy Flight. Yeah. They had Torty Craig. Yeah. A lot of things. They had a lot of fun things going, but I don't know if they had a specific had song. A song. They didn't have like a Gloria, but that hype video had Some Nights by Fun, if if that's what you mean. Oh yeah, I think that did. That's yeah. Oh, the Fox yeah. video? Yeah. Yeah, the one they showed on the um, mm-hmm. on the Jumbotron. But I don't think they had, we had a team-specific song that year. Maybe yeah. they did no, in the clubhouse and no we didn't Gloria. know, but there were, yeah, there wasn't a, a well, rally cry we'll song. We'll have to put you on that. 
Give us, get us a 2021 song. Well, we should talk to Adam Wainwright about that because I wonder if there's a song they play in the clubhouse. But it'll be too old for you. You need something new and hip and hopping. No, Jack Flaherty's on the ones and twos in the clubhouse. It's going to be new and fresh. But Adam's going to pick a good old country song for No, you. no, but I'm going to ask what they play okay, after, a, after win, a win. Okay. Because that's how Gloria came to be. That's what the blues played after a win. And then good call. We got wind of it and we stole it. <laughs> the text line saying written in the stars. We've gotten that from a couple people. Okay. Okay. Written in the stars. Good. Coming up on 101 ESPN, Jay Delsing will join us, talk about his show coming up on Sunday and about how much fun he had at the Ascension Charity Classic. Jay is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Great to have you with us on a Friday morning on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend Jay Delsing joins us. Jay Delsing Golf is the social media platform. Golf with Jay Delsing is the show every Sunday morning at 9 here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Michelle, good morning. What's going on? Hey, it was so fun to follow you on Saturday and Sunday, and it was like old home week for Jay Delsing. <laughs> Every time you got to a green, somebody was glad-handing you or shaking you your hand or saying, hey, Jay, how's it going? That was pretty cool to see that uh, St. Louis came out to support you. Oh, my God, Randy. I've never felt uh, that kind of support and love. I, I've, I embarrassed myself at a completely new low it's my golf game. I got the shanks out there, but I got to tell you, it didn't matter. The golf event was spectacular. St. Louis delivered like we knew they would. And uh, it was just a great experience for me and my family. I don't know how it could have been better. It was awesome. And Jay, what was it like for you to hit that inaugural first tee? Were you nervous heading into that? I mean, I know it was a great honor for you because we revealed it on the show, but take us to that moment and what you were feeling. Oh, my gosh, Michelle. Well, first of all, you know, when you go go to the – I've hit – I've been the first group off before, never um, with such significance, you know, and there was um, uh, a lot of media on the tee, and, um, oh, my gosh, my heart was just racing, and, and I, I was just kind of like, let's – come on, let's, let's, let's get this thing going because I just wanted to get this thing off the tee somewhere, you know, <laughs> in the air, hit it forward. Um, there were so many things racing through my mind, but, but when I got behind the ball, I, I, I gotta be honest, I was much calmer than I thought I would be. I mean, it was not easy for me to get the ball to stay up on the tee. My hand was shaking a little bit. I'm so fortunate that I just striked it right. It was one of the best shots I hit all week, which I didn't have a whole lot to choose from. But it went right down the middle of the fairway, and I was so relieved. Oh, my gosh. I took several deep breaths just to try to get it back together after that. Jay, I have to have you tell your driver story to Michelle. Yeah, okay. So, Michelle, there's a series of pro-ams that I play, uh, that we played, and I played three pro-ams, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, and one on Thursday. And Thursday morning, we teed off back nine at Norwood at about 840 or so. And the 11th hole is this drivable par four. It's about 300 yards long. And I hit this drive, and the sound of the ball connecting to the driver just didn't sound right. The ball flew. Gosh, it only stayed in the air like 80 yards. And Pearly, you know, was getting from me, looks at me, he's like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I just messed it up somehow. And he's like, no, nah, I don't think so. The driver sounded, and I go, no, it was me. I, I didn't hit it right. And so we just kind of shook it off and 
went played that hole, went to the next hole, which happened to be a par three, and then we got to the 13th tee, and I hit another drive, and it just had this weird clunky sound to it, and we looked down at the bottom of my driver, and my driver was stacked. So I'm like, oh, this is great timing. I've got to get a new driver. So this is the beauty of modern-day golf and technology. I got on my phone, which is, you know, odd. I usually turn my phone off, and I sometimes I don't even bring it out on the golf course with me, but I happen to have it in the bag. And I called my friends, uh, Tim Heitman, who's a, a team member with Ascension, and we got uh, – TaylorMade came out and exchanged my uh, 10-year-old – driver head with brand new <laughs> modern day uh technology and a whole later i had a brand new driver and i used it all week and it was the best club in my bag <laughs> that's incredible jay i just am, i'm imagining the the driver had the club head getting a police escort to you somewhere <laughs> somewhere on the course <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking that there should be a burial for the old one. I'm like, I wore this thing out completely. But, you know, back in the day when you try to get a new, you know, order a new driver, it took a full day, you know, to get the headset. It was, oh, oh my gosh, it was just fantastic. And um, that driver, gosh, I love, I love that driver. Jay, what were some of your fellow golfers saying about the event and about the crowds that came out in St. Louis? What were you hearing around the course about what happened at the Ascension? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, um, I had probably 20 of my fellow uh, tour players say to me, unbelievable job in this first year event. I said, you're giving me way, way too much credit. I, Ascension, Ascension deserves a credit. They assembled a team. I was a small part of it. But, you know, you guys, when you think about what it took, um, all the players had a, a brand-new car from Lou Fuse to drive around for the city. They had... Uh, uh, a, a great yardage book. They had tickets to the uh, to a Cardinal suite. They had John Daly throwing out the first pitch. They had this golf course that was in impeccable condition and played just like a major. All of these sky boxes, perfect weather, which we really got lucky about the weather, but it was perfect weather. And then this big purse. I mean, it 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 was a it was a. 10-run home run for, for Ascension, for our group that, that put this together. We had the state of Missouri Bureau of Tourism was involved this year in a in a way. Um, Lieutenant Governor Mike Keogh, he did a great job in supporting us and was out at the event. I, I heard for even DJ Singh, who is a guy that really kind of complains way more than he, than he congratulates, came up to me and said, this is a really good golf course. And I said, it really is. It, it kind of flies under the radar here in town. And he said, I've played some of the other ones, and this is as good as any course in town. And I said, I really think so, but I'm extremely biased. But and, um, I had a lot of players just talking about what a great event it was. That is so cool. Hey, Jay, I want you to uh, weigh in on one of the controversies going on in golf right now because Brooks Kepka uh, kind of complained about playing for the Ryder Cup, and Paul Azinger said, hey, if you don't like it, don't play. What do you think of what's going on there? I'm just tired of Brooks. i I just tired of that attitude. This is So the Ryder Cup, you guys, is bigger than the player, right? This is doing something for the red, white, and blue. This is doing something keeping the spirit of the game, a nice, uh, really tough competition. Go out there and represent the country and the fans that support you and just quit quit putting that 
chip out there all the time. I loved what Azinger said. I think it was about time that, you know, if he doesn't want to play, do you know how many guys that would give their left arm to be on that team? I mean, Kevin Na is a guy that's played extremely well and was really, really disappointed about not getting on the team. And Billy Horschel, who was all that Billy really wanted was a call from Coach Stricker to say, hey, man, you did, you, you know, good luck. You didn't make it, but, you know, maybe maybe next time. He went over and won the BMW Championship over in, in um, England and on the European Tour and used it as motivation you know, to, to, to play better and to get more points so that next time he's on the team. There are so many players, you guys, that would love to be on that team. I just don't get Brooks. I, I just he, – he's he just kind of pissing me off, really. It's just irritating at this point. You know what, Jay? In the Bryson DeChambeau-Brooks-Kepka feud, I think a lot of people initially were on the Brooks-Kepka side, and now I think that everybody's kind of over both of them. <laughs> it seems like both of them are pretty unlikable and that you're not taking a side in this battle. Well, you know what's crazy, Michelle? I got to stand up for Bryson in, in this way. And, and uh, I just don't know Brooks that well, but I've met Bryson several times. He's a great kid. He's just different. And the way that he's going about it is is so different than most tour players. And honestly, I think he takes a bad rap. You know, for, I'm really not sure what he did wrong. He He's just, he's playing the game at this crazy um, uh, level where he's just trying to outpower everything. But from a personal standpoint, I really don't see what he's done wrong. I, I just feel like, you know, Brooks has kind of stirred the pot. Brooks has thrown some barbs his way. He kind of kept it going initially. But now, I mean, I, I didn't get it. Honestly, you guys, I didn't get it when it was going on. I thought it meant absolutely nothing. I think it was really more for this Q rating and for the $40 million pot that, um, that they were kind of maybe stirring for one another. I, I, I really, don't, I, I really don't know. Hey Jay, I'm, I'm thinking here because you said it. If you, if you're going to play in the Ryder Cup next week, right-handed golfer, you better give it up your left arm or your right arm. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. That's good, Randy. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I felt like at the uh, on the weekend at Ascension, I couldn't. I had both arms tied behind my back <laughs> the way I was swinging. That was like so bad. I thought I had done everything to embarrass myself that I could possibly do on a golf course until I played on the weekend. Um, but gosh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't know why well, I've seen John Daly hit shots one handed before and that's, and he uses his left. So that's amazing. Hell, I don't know. You were a great representative of our town and being one of the ambassadors for the tournament, you did a fantastic job and can't thank you enough. And by the way, we're honored that with what's coming up later in the morning that you were good enough to join us. Like you usually do on Fridays after you do, do a TV hit later on. I don't know if, are you going to continue to join us on Fridays? Oh yeah, gosh! I'm just I'm down in Jacksonville doing the PGA Tour live. Uh, it's our streaming network that the PGA Tour owns, and occasionally they um, are kind enough to invite me on here. And um, so I'm on with uh, Ned Michaels, and we're doing the Fortnite uh, Championship on um, PGA Tour live. It's a lot of fun. But boy, you guys, it's 12 hours of golf coverage now. I love this stupid game, but man, alive, 12 hours in one day, that's a lot of golf chatter. And people can find that on, uh, they can just go to Twitter to get to it, right? PGA Tour Live? Yes, the uh, Twitter uh, post 
our free, and then they can go to um, PGATour.com, the NBC uh, golf app, and, and get uh, PGA Tour Live and check out future groups. So we've got uh, Mariama playing this morning with um, – uh, oh gosh, I got to look at my notes now that I'm y- yapping. But we've got uh, Hideki uh, Matsuyama playing this morning with um, uh, Steve Lee. And, and oh my gosh, I'm on a complete blank. That's okay. We'll just tune in. We'll just tune in to PGA Tour Live. We'll get the info. So yeah, John Rahm, world number one, is playing with Max Homa and Siwoo Kim, and uh, Matsuyama is playing with Hudson Swafford and Matt Kuchar. And Mark Leishman is with Snedeker and Will Zalatoris. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. And you know what's in, uh, really enlightening about PGA Tour Live when they do these featured groups is you don't know what kind of week these great players are going to have. And you see a lot of surprising shots from, from guys that aren't having great weeks. And I wish I would have known that while I was playing because I thought I was the only one, you know, my hooks – my hooks didn't hook and my fades didn't fade, but these guys do the same thing, and they actually miss three-footers too. So it kind of <laughs> makes me feel good when I started doing this. <laughs> right. Well, Jay, thanks so much for the time. Have fun down there today, and we'll be tuned in on Sunday morning. Thanks so much, guys. See you later. That's our buddy Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. And our friend, St. Louis and Mizzou made Taryn Gregson, also one of the stars of PGA Tour Live. Yes, absolutely. Taryn's the best. She does a great job. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, the fun quotient of Tom Brady continues to increase. At Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Twitter page and on their website, they've got a show called Tommy and Gronky. Mm-hmm. And good. they've got Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski sitting in Adirondack chairs. In front of them is a kiddie pool with rubber duckies in it and a no lifeguard on duty sign, even though they aren't in the water. They're just sitting on chairs. And in this week's episode, Gronky is asking Tommy some of the most asked questions on the Internet. Can Tom Brady play until 50 years old? Wow. Seems to be a really hot question lately. Can Tom Brady play till 50, like 50 years old? Yeah, 50. 50. You're 44, that's six more years. I think, I mean, I don't find it so difficult. And plus in the Florida, it's kind of a retiree state. So I feel like I can play and then just glide into retirement. I think I can. I think it's a yes. <laughs> Take it or leave it. You'd like to see it. I'm going to take that. He's on, he has shown no signs of slowing down. I would love to see him play as long as he can. And uh, I would love to see Gronk play alongside him for as long as he can. And kudos to the Buccaneers for knowing the personality was there and then eliciting the personality from him and using Gronkowski to do it, too. Also, kudos to him for making himself available for things like that, because a lot of athletes who are the franchise player or who are the star player don't want to do things like that. No, but he's just having fun, which is great. Yeah, it's cool. I think the biggest turnaround I've ever seen is you on Tom Brady. 
Well, you he's turned around. Hated hasn't he hated him, Randy. He's... Hated him. And now here you are using him as your Tioli, saying, Isn't he fun? Wouldn't you like to see him play till 50? He's gone from being boring idiot to fun guy. <laughs> boring idiot. He was. He was a boring idiot. Now he's a fun guy. The, the, and I'm blaming Bill Belichick for ruining Tom Brady for 20 years. They did have a lot of success. But it wasn't fun. No, it wasn't. Well, winning's fun. But was it? Did you ever have fun watching Tom Brady in a media situation, or it, on camera? In a media situation, he when he was with the Bucks, when he was with the Patriots, I mean with the Patriots, yeah. He said the right thing always. He never made any waves. He never made any headlines. The only time he made a headline is Tom Brady says he, you know, he feels good today or whatever it was because it's Tom Brady. But nothing like this. No, this is fun. Nothing like this. This is fun. All right, Randy. Well, tonight the Cardinals open up a three-game set versus the Padres, a very crucial series for the Redbirds. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals take two of three from the Padres. Yeah, I'll take that. You've got Vince Velasquez going tonight. He was just cut by Philadelphia, and Philadelphia needs starting pitching. <laughs> and then tomorrow you've got Wayno going, so that's two wins right there. There you go. Done and done. Yeah. All right, Emily, what do you got? From the 314, take it or leave it. If the Cardinals had the Dodgers starting rotation, St. Louis would win 100-plus games with our excellent defense. Um, I'm I'm still assuming that in this equation, the offense has been the same that it was this entire season. Yeah. Because that was an issue. Yeah, I think I'll take it, though. I, I the think defense that, is outstanding. With, the, with that pitching and defense... You can just squeak yeah. over a run, yeah. a lot of one nothing, 2-1 games. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. You've got – and you had Bauer, replaced him with Scherzer, and you've had Urias and Bueller all year long. You had David Price for a while. Yeah, I think that you could do that. I think you could score enough runs, unless you're going against the the Cardinals, who, by the way, just what split with the Dodgers, right? Yeah. Took two of four. They did. This one from Grimey from South County. Take it or leave it. I'm sorry. I was going to say, what's up, Grimey? What a name. Yeah. Yeah, Grimey from South County. Take it or leave it. Aaron Rodgers throws for over 300 yards with three touchdowns in week two. Randy, I'll let you take this well, one since he was your pick. Are we taking him now? Well, he was your pick, so I'm just... Um, I'm going to take it. I want to trust you here, Randy, but A.A. Ron has burned me. He burned me last week. And do I really want to put my hand near the flame again? On... Uh... ESPN.com, Matthew Barry has him as a must start. Okay. Well, I trust Matthew Barry. No, because no of, of the him. same thing. He said, is that going to happen twice in a row to Aaron Rodgers? What do you what do you make of the conspiracy theories on the internet that he's tanking this season and that he wasn't prepared to come back and he doesn't really care about winning. He's just getting through the season so he can go wherever he wants next year. A team that has a chance to win is if he has a terrible season this year, they aren't going to want him at 38 years old, right? That's the way I'm looking at it. If I were the Broncos, for example, and Teddy Bridgewater has a better year than Aaron Rodgers does, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers, I'm assuming that Rodgers is getting bad because he took the summer off. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really care. And age is catching up to him. Yeah, I think if I'm in that situation, I still go for Aaron Rodgers, even if he had a bad year, because I'm looking at all the circumstances. I think I'd roll the dice on A.A. Ron. But the, the circumstances include having Aaron uh, or Aaron Jones and Dylan in the backfield. They include having Devontae Adams and Tanyan and all those good receivers. So if you've got those people who performed at a high level before, what's the problem? I also think 
he has said several times that he seriously contemplated retirement. Mm-hmm. So if he didn't want to come back and he didn't want to compete, he would have retired. Yeah. He would have walked yeah. away. So if that's the case, then you have to be concerned about what his physical abilities are right now. From so the- We still want to pick him? Oh, yeah. I think last week was the outlier. Okay, good. Just want to just wanna confirm. From the 314, take it or leave it. Nationally and locally, Freeze's homer is the biggest moment in St. Louis sports history. I would say nationally, because the NFL is so big. The tackle? The tackle. You see it all the time. Yeah. But that's not our team anymore. No. But still, it, it's it still was It's still St. Louis then. sports history, yeah. yeah. But... Man, how many times did we see that game six when the pandemic started and there was no sports going on? It was on every day. Every person we've talked to nationally says that's the best World Series yep. game they've ever seen. Jason Stark says that. Dan Schulman said it yesterday. So Joe I, I would go with that. Yeah. And obviously Joe has a personal tie to it. Right. But anytime that there's a postseason montage before the World Series or, you know, it's on Fox, whatever. There's always the David Freeze home run. It's always there. So I th- I would probably take that. We'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up, we're going to get some of your mic drops. What are your favorite memories of the 2011 Cardinal season? Michelle and I will give you ours, and we want to hear yours on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Character. Great to have you with us as we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the Cardinals' 2011 World Championship. It does not seem like 10 years. That 10 years has gone by fast for me. In the blink of an eye. Yeah, it really has. It it seems like David Freeze hit that home run about two years ago. seems like the sweatshirt (laughs) that I'm wearing, the hoodie that I'm wearing, seems like it's about two years old, and it's a decade. I bet that thing is so comfortable. It's very comfortable. 2011 World Series champions. Michelle, I had so many fun games, and we were talking earlier last hour about the back-to-back games in June where Albert hit the home runs to beat the Cubs, both in walk-off fashion. There was also another game against the Cubs on September 24th, the Cardinals load the bases with two outs. Carlos Marmol is on the mound for Chicago, and he walks a couple to load the bases with two outs. Ryan Terrio comes on to pinch hit for Corey Patterson and takes a bases-loaded walk. And then Rafael Fercal steps to the plate, and with the count 0-1, here's what happened. You're the Cubs. You have a one nothing lead oh. heading into the bottom of the ninth, and here's the way it unfolded. Berkman with a fly out, and then a base hit by Holiday. Freeze uh, 
is at the plate and Green steals second base, but then David strikes out. So you've got two out, one on, a walk to Yachty, the walk to Skip Schumacher, a walk to Ryan Terrio to tie the game. All you've had now is that single by Holiday, and then a wild pitch by Marmol to win it for the Cardinals. And Adron Chambers went into Cardinal lore as the Cardinals won that game, and they picked up another game on Atlanta and moved to within two of the wild card. Uh, thank you, Cubs. Yeah. Yeah, really. That's all you can do is thank you. And if the Cardinals don't win that game, obviously they don't even make the playoffs. We've talked a lot about game six as we talk about this team and their path to hoisting the World Series trophy, that big hunk of metal, as Rob Manford calls it. And I want to talk about this with Mark McGuire coming up uh, shortly. Game six is so iconic that we forget about game five and we forget about the bullpen phone game. Yeah. And what would have happened if the Cardinals ended up losing the World Series? That would be what we remember that World Series by. It would be one of the main things we talk about is remember when Tony La Russa thought he was getting Jason Mott and Scrabble, Mark Zepchinski showed up and the Cardinals ended up losing that game four to two and the Rangers take a three two series lead. Yeah, what are you doing here? What? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. But and it's things like that that all of a sudden we look at fondly yeah. when they go on to win. It's like, oh, look at what they overcame. That could have been the storyline. I'll never forget the morning after game six. Uh, Bernie was hosting the show. I was his producer. We got David Freeze on the mm-hmm. show. And I get him on the phone before he he does his interview. And we're talking about the game last night. And I'm like, have you slept? Can you even believe what happened last night? And he goes, I'm so thankful because I didn't want us to lose and for me to be remembered as, as misplaying that pop-up that hit my head mm-hmm. earlier in the game. I was so worried that, that I was going to end up being a reason that we lost. And I go, dude, no one even remembers that. No one is even thinking about that today but isn't that funny that that was what he was thinking that a miscue by him could have been a reason that they lost not look at what I just did to accomplish probably the most unbelievable and dramatic moment in Cardinal history right and think about that that he was thinking that way but think about the way that we think too that he did hit the home run and it completely overshadows one of the three three home run games in World Series history that's right (laughs) that's right so many things get overshadowed by the dramatics of that game including game seven where the Cardinals won the World Series right yeah and I don't believe that we will ever see a world well I shouldn't say we'll never see but we haven't seen a world championship team that had a September like the Cardinals had that after a dismal August and they were in first place at the end of July, but then a terrible August and then they rally thanks to a rebuilt bullpen and they wind up not only getting to the playoffs, but winning the World Series. We've got Mike drops. We do appreciate you weighing in here on 101 ESPN. Let's go to John. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Emily. When I think back to the 2011 season, I am drawn back to game six. Not because I don't remember Doc Holliday and Chris Carpenter battling tooth and nail in that one to nothing victory for the Cardinals, but because of David Freeze's triple. When he hit the triple, I exploded out of my seat, spilt my drink, spilt my nachos, <laughs> and all I could do was scream, run, run, <laughs> run, as I thought, 
Lance Berkman has to get his big butt all the way around from first as I stood there <laughs> dancing in the chips as he rounded third and headed for home. What a moment. It was unbelievable. And I do think that Nelson Cruz takes some undue criticism. That was a really hard play. And he is a DH. He was playing right field. And I'm not so sure that every right fielder in baseball would have made that catch. That ball was pretty well hit. It was. But you know it's a great moment, Randy, when you're not mad that you spilled your ballpark nachos. Yeah, that means it is a great moment. One other thing that happened that came of that postseason was the advent of pulling your starter really early. A lot of times prior to that year, a guy like Edwin Jackson goes in game two against Milwaukee. He goes four and a third, allows only two runs. And Tony pulls him and winds up using seven different pitchers in the game. And it was a 12-3 victory. And then in game three in Milwaukee, uh, the Cardinals wind up winning it. But Tony... uh, pulls Carp after five and you don't pull Chris Carpenter after five innings when he's pitching well but he he was and Tony did and then in game four in Milwaukee Tony got to the bullpen in the fourth inning again in the fifth inning Loesch only goes four and a third and it was at that time where you kind of decide okay well we're at a point now in history where the starting pitcher is not going to be counted on for seven innings in playoff games and Throughout the course of that postseason, Cardinal starting pitchers never wound up going five innings, six innings on a regular basis until, well, that that was after Carpenter had gone the nine, obviously, against Philadelphia. But until game seven against Texas in the World Series, you just didn't see Cardinal starters getting a lot of innings. Which is why those moves that John Mozeliak made to supplement the bullpen were so critical. Mark Zepchinski, Octavio Dotel, those guys played a critical role in the Cardinals' success that postseason. Every single reliever on that team was reliable. Jake Westbrook comes out of the bullpen, Mm -hmm. starting pitcher, to get the win in game six. There was so much that went into that. It was cool. We are going to do more mic drops coming up in the nine o'clock hour. But coming up next, we have an early edition of the fight. We're going to talk to Mark McGuire at the bottom of the hour. So an early edition of the fight is next with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. It's the Friday edition of The Fight on Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. And you never know what Emily has up her sleeve. She always comes with the fastball in regards to the questions, but sometimes there's a themed fight, and we have one today. Kyle is going to be Randy's competition. Good morning, Kyle. How are you? Hi, Michelle. I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing awesome over here. So, Kyle, we have the 10-year anniversary of the Cardinals 2011 championship at the ballpark this weekend. So we have a 2011 World Series-themed fight. Well, actually, the entire season, but celebrating that World Series. So hopefully you remember some things from that year. Sure do. Awesome. Probably not as much as uh, Randy, but I'll try. Well, you never know. Well, good luck, Kyle. We're pulling for you. you. 
Okay. All right. Question number one. There was only one player eligible to win a ring in the 2011 World Series, no matter who won, because of a trade from the Rangers to the Cardinals earlier in the season. Who was that player? Was it Nick Punto, Gerald Laird, or Arthur Rhodes? Nick Punto. To get into the NLDS and play the Philadelphia Phillies, the Cardinals had to win the last game of the regular season and defeat the Houston Astros. They did that by a score of 8 to nothing, with only one home run hit in that game. Who hit that home run for the Cardinals? Was it Alan Craig, Albert Pujols, or David Freeze? Alan Craig. Question number three, Kyle. Who had the most RBI in the 2011 regular season? Lance Berkman, Albert Pujols, Matt Holliday. Lance Berkman. And as of the 2011 World Series, only two teams had never reached the World Series. One of them was the Washington Nationals, who made it in as the wild card and won it all in 2019. Who was the only remaining team? Is it the San Diego Padres, the Seattle Mariners, or the Colorado Rockies? Oh, Seattle. Okay, checking our score. Randy buried into his phone. Emily, you wave him in. Since Danny Mac is not here, Kyle, I need to do my best Danny Mac. What do you do for a living? (laughs) I am a technical director for a local uh, production company. Oh, very cool. I'm just going to go grab him. Yeah, go grab him. (laughs) Randy, he must be. Oh, here he comes. He was not paying attention. I wish people could see what we were just doing. We were jumping. We were waving. We were trying to get Randy's attention. You were locked into your phone there, Randy. So, I'm on Twitter with uh, with Chris Long and uh, former Rams PR uh, guru Casey Pierce talking about. Uh, I, so Chris tweeted that uh, the Rams played all I do is win after both of their home wins in 2011. And Casey pointed out that only one of their wins came at home in 2011. And uh, we, we were reminiscing about the Ryan Pompriand bounced snap game that allowed the Rams to beat the Browns 13 to 12 in Cleveland. Phil Dawson missing a field goal with less than two minutes left that caused cost Cleveland the win and cost the Rams the opportunity to draft Andrew Luck if they would have so desired. Kyle, are you intimidated at all now that Randy just pulled all of those details out of that Megamind brain? Always. (laughs) (laughs) Randy, say good morning to Kyle. Kyle, good morning. How are you doing? Good, Randy. Thanks. Thank you very much for playing today. We do appreciate it. Okay. That was a, a dark stretch of football. It was pretty bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. And the, that is so on brand, the audacity of the Rams to play All I Do Is Win after one win. I know. One win. One home home. win. <laughs> you play All I Do Is Win. Yeah, and you still got uh, your former players laughing about it. Yeah. So all you can do is laugh, Randy, at this point, because yep. if not, you'll cry. Here you go, Randy. These okay. are all 2011-themed questions oh, in honor of the Cardinals team that won the World Series that year. Okay. Question number one. There was one player eligible to win a ring in the 2011 World Series, no matter who won, because of a trade from the Rangers to the Cardinals earlier in the season. Who was that player? A trade from the Rangers to the Cardinals. It seems like that might have been Arthur Rhodes. I'll go with that. And actually, that was a free agent signing. He was released by the Rangers and signed by the Cardinals as a free agent. Sorry. Sorry. No problem. problem. Just saying. To get into the NLDS and play the Philadelphia Phillies, the Cardinals had to win the last game of the regular season and defeat the Houston Astros. They did that by a score of 8 to nothing, with only one home run hit in that game. Who hit the home run for the Cardinals? Okay, that game was in Houston. I don't know off the top of my head. 
<laughs> and I'm not going to use my I, I could use my lifeline. Off the top of my head, I would think that would be typical of Lance Berkman. And I'm betting that he's probably one of the lifeline guys. And since the game was in Houston, so you had Berkman, uh, Yan Ye at that that point, uh, Craig Holiday, uh, Freeze for Cal, Skip Punto, Albert Gatti. I'll go with Berkman. Question number three, Randy, who had the most RBI in the 2011 regular season? For the Cardinals? For the Cardinals. Albert Pujols did. As of the 2011 World Series, only two teams had never reached the World Series. Only one one of them was the Washington Nationals, who made it in, the, in as the wild card and won it all in 2019. Who was the only remaining team? Okay, this is right now. Right now. Because the Rangers made it in after having not made it in. So the the remaining teams to not play in a World Series of Major League Baseball, is that, that's the question? The Seattle Mariners have never played in a World Series. This was a close fight. And the victor won by one. Emily, let him know who it was. The winner and still champion of the fight. Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Uh, Randy, you didn't even let me get it out first. What? That Randy won three to two. Beat Kyle. Go ahead. Play your, play your machine. Just win, baby. <laughs> At least Kyle's laughing, Randy. At least he's not thinking that you're um, hey, I rubbing it at his face if, here. If the St. Louis Rams can do it. You know what? Play it again. Shout out to Chris Long and those Rams. <laughs> Kyle, I'm sorry. Randy did beat you 3-2. to two. It was a very close fight today. So the player who would have won a World Series, regardless of who won because of a – it was not a trade. It was a free agent signing. Mm-hmm. Randy, thank you for the correction there, yeah. was in fact Arthur Rhodes in the 2011 World Series. So to get into the NLDS, this is still amazing, and play the Phillies, the Cardinals had to win the last game of the regular season and defeat the Astros. They did that by a score of 8 to nothing, with only one home run hit in that game by one Alan Craig. Okay. Who were the three that were on the list? Craig, Pujols, Freeze. Okay. I probably would have gone Craig last. Uh, but that was the last year, by the way, of only one wild card also. In 2012, we went to the second wild card. Infield fly? Yep, that was yeah. the game. Yeah, that was a fun game. So the player that had the most RBI in the 2011 regular season for your St. Louis Cardinals was Albert Pujols with 99. Lance Berkman had 94. Mm-hmm. 94. So as of 2011, only two teams had never reached the World Series. One of them was the Nationals, who won in 2019. The only remaining team is, in fact, the Seattle Mariners. So Kyle and Randy both got that one correct. Good job, Kyle. Thank you so much for listening and playing, and have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye-bye. you, Kyle. You know what we need to start doing? Whenever the listener wins, we need to start playing Just Win Baby, or All I Do Is Win. or have We need to have a sounder for the listener that yeah. when they win, we can hype them well, up. Once they start yeah, winning 90% different. of the time, we can do that. <laughs> just saying, Randy. <laughs> we, we need Just Win Baby, or not Just Win Baby. We need All I Do Is Win because that's what the Rams played when they won the one time. That's right. That's that, a good point. That needs to be the underdog. That needs to be their theme song. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Okay, and then I can still do. Just win, baby. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. You can do it. 
Okay, thanks. I'm, I, I'm happy that I'm allowed to do it. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure that there's going to be more that you add to your your winning oh, sounder you arsenal. That is not going to be the only one that you play. I'm sure I'll, there's more. I'll, I'll have a half dozen for you by next week. Coming up, the 2011 champions were terrific offensively. And one of the reasons is because they had a terrific hitting coach. Who, By the way, after next year, I'd like to get back into baseball. You'll hear from Mark McGuire next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. And the Cardinals are celebrating the 10th anniversary of the 2011 World Championship this weekend. The hitting coach for those 2011 Cardinals, the ring he got with the Cardinals, Mark McGuire, joins yeah. us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mark, it's always good to have you with us. Thanks for your time today. How are you doing? Uh, it's great being with you two again. Thank you very much for asking me. Well, let, let's start with this because I think because of the fact that the Cardinals had to come back in that year, we kind of forget that in the first half of that season, your club was pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, they were, but we had a lot of. I mean, it's 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 sort of parallel with what the Cardinals are doing this year. You know, they don't really have a closer. Do they have a closer? They had a closer. Reyes was hot for a while earlier in the season. You know, we, you know, daily year, Franklin was our closer. Then we went to Salas. And, and then, you know, Tony wouldn't commit to Jason Mott being the closer, even in the World Series. And and who was on the mound to throw the last pitch of the World Series to winning it was Jason Mott. So, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of parallels with how the, how the season is going with the Cardinals this year and what happened in, in 2011. So um, hopefully good things will happen for them. Well, Mark, whenever we think about that team, I think most people in St. Louis, they immediately jump to David Freeze, the postseason hero. But yeah. before he was the postseason hero, he went through a bit of a rough, a rough stretch. And as legend has it, you told uh, Tony LaRusa, <laughs> stick with him. I see something in him. What did you see in David Freeze that led you to vouch for him, to advocate for him, for Tony LaRusa to stick uh, with him? I. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's probably like, you know, trying to talk to him about like having a son, you know, it's like, you know, his is, you know, he, you know, he, he had a rough road getting to the big leagues and you knew that he could, he could deal with pretty much anything. And to me, it was just, his timing was a little bit off. You know, we used to talk about the, the strength of the bottom hand. Um, and then the strength of the bottom hand has to match that front foot planting. And that front foot has to be down, you know, and, um, and, it, and it was in, I, gosh, it was right towards the end last, uh, you know, week, two weeks of the season. He started, he started clicking, he started getting it, then he'd lose it and then he got it and then he just wrote it out. 
you know, and that's the exciting thing about baseball. It's, um, you know, you can look so bad for 15, 25 at bat, and it can just take one little, little swing and miss or a foul ball or something, and you get that feeling. And um, baseball is about feeling. It's about just reaction to some feeling of somebody throwing a baseball to you, sit, picking up the seams, and then all of a sudden it just clicks, and he just ran with it. Um, it was just sort of like what we did as a team. You know, we're struggling. We're, we're so far out towards the end of the season. And we have, I don't know, three weeks left. We have, we're nine games out, something like that. And, uh, you know, I remember we all meet as the coaching staff uh, uh, about a week prior to the end of the season to do all our stuff because at the end of the season we were done going, we were finishing up in uh, Houston. So we can all just take off and leave from Houston. And then uh, we ran the table, you know, and I've always said that, you know, the, the hottest teams at the end of the season usually run the table. It's just something clicks, and it, and it goes parallel to what happened with David. And, and man, we rode him out. And I just, I, I mean, it's, again, it's just the love of, like, he was your son. So uh, that's, man, that's just one of those things that you just, the intuition, uh, what the eyes see, that's one of those things that, that the analytical people can't see can't turn the game. It's like, or throughout the season, when you're a coach and you see that, and people are like, why are you staying with it? What's going on? You see it. It's going to happen. All it is is one swing. Hey, Mark, so many things come out after a team wins a championship, and especially with a story like this. And one of the stories that I love is that Chris Carpenter had players over to his house in early September, and I think the team was 10 games out. And he said, hey, let's just not embarrass ourselves. We've got great fans. Let's make sure that we give them the best that we have to offer. Was the coaching staff, A, aware of that meeting? And do you think that it did? Did make a big difference. I that's the first time I've heard of that. Well, oh. <laughs> that must be one. That must have been one hell of a party. <laughs> it, turned, it turned it around. So um, yeah, I mean it's. I mean that's what that's what baseball's about. It's about family. It's a, it's about you know nowadays it, it could be up to fifty guys <laughs> being a part of the team to win a championship. You know back then we had a lot too, and since you know, 40 guys and, um, I mean, just the moves that Tony had to make and the trade that, that they, that they pulled off at the, I mean, it wasn't the trade. It was like August, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, right it, was, the it, trade. it was, yeah, the trade was for Carl and Jackson and, uh, Terry, uh, Ryan. And, and it's like, Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden things just clicked. I mean, it's just like, man, I, I, it's, it's just one of those things you can't really, it just happens. It just happens. And, um, you know, um, you know, they just, I mean, that party must have done something because I'll tell you what, it, it worked. Yeah, it certainly did, Mark. And, you know, once that confetti falls, all of the missteps along the way, all the bad memories seem to wash away, especially when you have a great dramatic game like Game 6. That's what everyone's always going to remember. But when I look back on that, I remember Game 5, the bullpen game, the bullpen phone game, where the the Rangers end up winning that game 4-2. They take a 3-2 lead heading into that fateful Game 6. But tell me what was going on in the dugout when Tony La Russa thinks that he's getting Jason Mott and then Mark Zepchinski yeah. shows up. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's uh 
I, I don't, you know, to this day, I've never heard what really happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, this is my speculation of what, uh, you know, it happens all the time. I heard Tony all the time call somebody's name hitting at the plate, and it's not that person hitting at the plate. So I don't know what happened there, Tony, but it's, uh, you know, he'd probably call the phone and ask for somebody. He didn't even realize he was asking for somebody else. And, um, you know, that was sort of a debacle. But, I mean, we uh, we overcame that, didn't we? Yeah. And, uh, you know, with, uh, with game six, because, you know, going back to – St. Louis being down three to two and, you know, and then, you know, going into the ninth inning down by two and, you know, I mean, just the, what happened is just like, I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that I remember Tony, like in the dugout when we're in there and he, he was walking up down the dugout and he was basically telling, telling guys, you know, Hey, after the game, I want you guys to stay in the dugout. I don't want anybody going to clubhouse. I want you to stay in the dugout and, I want you to thank the fans for everything. And so it was one of those things where, you know, shoot, it's, you know, Texas is running with this thing and, you know, they got their closer and police out there and, and, um, you know, just figured that, you know, things were done. And, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not over. <laughs> it's not over until the fat lady thinks, right. It's like, that's what they always say. So it's like, um, well, I, I, it was just incredible, totally incredible. I, I can't, I mean, I don't think I've ever been that nervous in a uniform my whole life. Um, and I was coaching. <laughs> so it's like I had, I had nothing to do. I was like, my part was over once the game started. It was just basically just watch and, and try to just be, for, be there for the guys. The guys were so into the game. But it's just like, you know, as a player, I mean, there's enough stress as a player. But I didn't feel like, as a coach, I felt more stress than I ever did as a player. Um, but man, it was what a what a fantastic, fantastic series. Hey Mark, you preach to your hitters the importance of the mental aspect and of mental toughness. When you are down to the final strike and if you don't do something, your team's <clears throat> gonna lose the World Series, that's major mental toughness when when guys like Freeze and Berkman step up a strike away from losing the World Series. Well, I was lucky enough to to work with those guys that were really, really good at two-strike hitting and really, really good at putting the ball in play. You know, that's sort of gone away from the game, um, you know, in 10 years, unfortunately. Um, but it's like you, you have to battle. I mean, it's your life. And you, you work so hard to get here. And, again, it's like you just don't know until the last out is made what can happen. You know, an error here, you know, a block or whatever it may be, put a guy in scoring position. But, listen, you're, you're down by two strikes. You widen out your zone. You just widen it out from where your hot zone is. And you just, you're at the mercy of the pitcher. And, and you just, your eyes are just – the focus is just even more focused. Put the ball in play, um, and you saw what happened when he put the ball in play. You know, some of those hits weren't, weren't big hits. I mean, they were little bloopers, but they are bloopers by putting the ball in play. Um, you know, they're trying to throw a strike barely off the plate. They're not trying to throw one over in the other batter's box. And it's just like you know that when you're up there and you have that mentality of putting the ball in play, but not, again, not giving anything up. I'm not talking about just going up there and just like just slapping at it. I'm talking about 
you putting the ball in play uh, with with as much velocity as you can get from that bat. So, um, and, and I just had a great, great group of guys that can do that. Such professional hitters. That's Mark McGuire. More with the former Cardinal hitting coach talking about the 2011 World Champs after this on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> McGuire joining Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy Carriker, and here's Michelle. Mark, you mentioned you were never so nervous in a uniform during Game 6, and I think after Game 6, everyone in St. Louis thought that Game 7 was inevitable, that the Cardinals were going to win the World Series. There was no way that you guys could lose. What was the feeling like in the clubhouse as you entered Game 7? You know, I, I think it was one of those things that it was. It was like, wow, this is meant to be. You know, it, it was like, this is this is a really good thing. This is one of the things you dream about. This is one of the things that you, you know, it's just like um, you sit back and you go, gosh, it, it, is it is it our year? I mean, I mean, look how like I mean, we struggled. I mean, we, we like you said, we we got off good. We struggled for basically the rest of the year until the last three weeks of the season. Um, and then everybody forgot about all what happened throughout the season. It's like, it, it's just, you know, it's just that we just knew we were going to do it. We just knew we were going to do it. Um, there was nothing, uh, I, you can just see it in their eyes. Um, we, we, you know, the thing is, is like, I mean, there's so many little things that happened. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, going, okay, so, you know, games, why did they take Feliz up? You know, why, why did Feliz come out? Why did Feliz go back out there? You got Darren Oliver go back out there? And then we pitch it two lefties against Darren Oliver? And then Kyle Loesch? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It's like, <laughs> really? It's like, okay, and, and we, we got through that, right? I mean, it's like, that just doesn't happen. Um, I mean, that was that's incredible. I, I, you know, and then, uh, Nelly Cruz, you know, didn't obviously wasn't playing where he should have been playing, you know, and and freeze hits the triple off the wall um, at, on a ball that you think, my, you know, again, David is one of the strongest human beings I've ever been around, <clears throat> you know, and it's not like he killed it, but he hit it good enough to like, wow, okay, maybe something could happen here, but you know, Nelly Cruz is, you know, I mean, he's a full-on Hall of Famer as a DH, and he was out there in right field. That benefited us. And he, was, he wasn't playing in the right position where he should have been playing, and thank you for that. So, I mean, a lot of things had to go right, but, I mean, you just think back about all these little things that, that happened. I, I go back to, like, game five against Philadelphia and Chris Carpenter. That was, like, just a masterful game being pitched. And probably, to me, it's probably one of the best at-bats I've ever seen um, Skippy Schumacher, you know, in the first inning, you know, battle with Halliday, you know, it seemed like it was a 20 pitch at bat. Just kept fouling balls off, fouling balls off, fouling balls off. Knocks in the first run. Then we win one nothing in the first inning. And, it, you know, you just you start putting all these things together, and, it, and it's like now you get to reminisce 10 years later, and it's like, it, it it was so weird how that season is. It wasn't how you you would ever draw it up to win a World Series, 
but it was a year that you would sit down and go, that was a year meant to be. And how remarkable is it, Mark, that when that team gathers at Bush Stadium this weekend, that Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina are still in uniform for the Cardinals? <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. And they're going to play some more, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Uh, bless them. I, I, you know, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I watched Adam throw last week against the Dodgers, and I was like, it's unbelievable what, how he is just getting them off off stride, and 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 he's having such a terrific year. I mean, obviously it helps to have Yachty. You know, that's uh, having four managers behind home plate back there. You know, it's just like you don't need a coaching staff when Yachty's there. It's like here, go out and just go out and play. Let Yachty run it. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty cool to see those two uh, still playing and and hopefully playing for. Well, it sounds like they are. yeah they are. That's right. Yeah, they're both coming back. They both uh, signed extensions or, or agreed to extensions. So, yeah, yeah. And then there's a rumor of Albert maybe going there next year when the DH comes in after the agreement. So that would even mean, wouldn't that be something? That would be amazing. So. <laughs> yeah. And to uh, mark a kind of a two-parter here, did you sense or know during that 2011 run that Tony was going to retire? And are, were you at all surprised? Because nobody we talked to that knows Tony well is surprised that he came back. Were you? Coming came, coming back? I, 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 maybe I was surprised like about, about like maybe 10%. Um, I, it's just like, I mean, like baseball is in your blood. I mean, it's in my blood. I mean, uh, I mean, I missed the game and you know, the, you know, when Tony had been working for Boston, you know, he, you know, when he retired, he, he, he went to Detroit and hung out with Dombrowski and for a little bit. And then, you know, he hung out with the White Sox for a little bit and then, and then he went and worked for Boston, and then um, and then he uh, obviously worked for the Angels. You know, he was never out of the game, and and you know, people are saying like, oh no, he's he's you know he's old, he's seventy some odd years old, and you know he's he's he can't relate to these young players today. And you know, I'm like, wait a minute, he's been up in that that you know, nice plush box up in the stadium managing for yeah. <laughs> the last, last nine or 10 years. So it's like, he hasn't missed it. He hasn't missed a beat. Yeah. I mean, sure. He's messed up every time he's messed up. The, the media's, you know, hammered him for it, but who hasn't messed up? Everybody's going to mess up being a man. It doesn't matter if you're 75 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 35 years old, you're going to screw up. And it just, you know, nobody can outmanage him. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, funny thing about it I just sort of it's just you know he gets the best out of what he has I mean yes he has an unbelievable team over there in Chicago but look at what he was dealt with right away he had such a major major injuries the, the pitching staff he had some solid starting pitching but he's had injuries to that the bullpen's been in sort of disarray a little bit they've, they've blown a bunch of saves and they're, you know, they're they're there right there with one of the best records in the game of baseball. And so, yes, he has talent, but he's also had a lot of talent on the IL for a long period of time. Right. And he's done a masterful job. Hey, Mark, we know how much you love St. Louis and how much you loved your time here. Because of that, and you didn't get to win a ring as a player in St. Louis, how much does that ring 
as a member of the Cardinal organization, how much does that mean to you? Shoot, everything. It's it's, it's awesome. First, I mean, it's a, what a. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm just. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing. I, I, um, I did an interview last week with LA radio station. We talked about Albert coming back to St. Louis, and that was one of the things that, you know, if there's anything I do regret, it's you know not. I mean, I knew Albert. It was obvious he was going to be such a great player and first ballot Hall of Famer, and you know, but you know, when I'm at the end of my career and I'm sitting there thinking about, gosh, you know. Do I want to keep on going through this stuff, or do I want to? Uh, do I want to, you know, just walk away from the game? And man, I chose walking away from the game. I mean, I could have definitely played another five or six years. It, the thing is, is, I look back now and I'm like, damn. I mean, how great would it have been to play with him instead of my last instead of my last year for one year? And you know, I only play, I played with him basically on one leg, so. You know, my my leg wasn't well. I still played on it, but you know that's that's the thing. It's like I wish I had. An, I I know I probably would have had a definite opportunity to get to the World Series. Um, you know, as a player, but you know, Nolan Tony and him trying to get me back in the game, and I'm so thankful he did, and and um, and the Cardinals um, to bring me back, and Mo and the Dewitts and everybody there, and you know, have an opportunity and, and wearing that ring. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I do wish it was as a player, but, you know, um, it, very few people in this world today can say they're World Series champions. And I can say I'm World Series champion as a player and as a coach. And uh, you were great at both. And hopefully we'll get to see you sometime again coaching baseball. You're working with the kids all the time, though. And I know that your kids are keep, keeping you busy. You won't be able to be in town yeah. this weekend. But Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I know. It's unfortunate I won't be there this weekend. But it's like. Yeah, I, I got one more year, and then I'll, one more year, my son Mason is going to be a senior. Um, you know, uh, my son Max is now at the uh, University of Oklahoma, if you can believe that. So he's there playing baseball. So um, Boomer Sooner, so it's like, here we go. It's like, uh, you know, it's uh, who would ever think, uh, you know, a father from SC and having such a great career at SC to – and you get off to Oklahoma, but it's it's like it's incredible. He's having a great time. So and then my son Mason, who's uh, you know he's highly ranked pitcher in the country, and and um, you know hopefully um, the draft will come up. But he has he's committed to the University of Oklahoma too. So but um, yeah, it's it's totally exciting. This is yeah. So after this after this next year, I'm I'm free to pretty much go and travel and do all do all the stuff and um you know that's the thing i when i walked away from the game um from the padres leaving a another year left on the contract you know to be around my kid that's you know that's the thing it's like they come first and and um you know it's unfortunate some of these things have to be put to the side because you know something i missed as a as a player raising my son matt that i told myself that i wasn't going to miss when i had another family and and um, so I got to see the last four fantastic years of watching my boys grow up as baseball players and as young teenagers and growing up into being young men. So 
And then again, then I get the roles with the with the daughters too. So that's mm-hmm. busy, as, yeah. <laughs> busy as ever. But they're still 11 years old, so I have a little bit more freedom to move around and do some things. Well, good for you. We're, we're glad you're doing that. We're going to miss you this weekend. But thanks for taking some time to reminisce about that 2011 team markets. Always great to hear your voice. You're welcome, as always, and um, hopefully they have a really good uh, weekend against the Padres, and I think this is probably the biggest weekend uh, for the Cardinals this season. Um, To me, it's... um, it's a it's thinking that uh, I I personally think they need to sweep and to have the confidence to uh, to roll in as the, the wild card um, and really parallel to what we did in 2011. So um, and uh, it'll be an exciting weekend in St. Louis. Sorry, I won't be there, but um, just uh, say hello to everybody and all the fans and um, and uh, I surely miss that place. That is Mark McGuire, Cardinal Hall of Famer, joining Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. A lot to unpack there, and Michelle and I will do that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Mark McGuire, who has such vivid memories of that 2011 season. And Michelle was a hitting coach that made his hitters better. The the late, great Chris Duncan and Skip Schumacher used to go out and visit Mark during the offseason in California. And both of those two give him so much credit for their advancement as hitters and when you look around that 2011 team with people like Jay and Descalso, mm-hmm. who still talk about the mental approach that they needed to take to become good hitters and what an effect Mark McGuire had on them, what a great hitting coach he is. And not, I'm not going to say was, is. Is. I, I like that. And we talk a lot about how pervasive analytics are in the game, especially from an offensive approach, especially with the Cardinals. It was called the high-level curriculum by us. Uh, John Moselock called it that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what the analytics would have said about David Freeze in that moment. If the analytics would have told you to stick with David Freeze when he wasn't performing the way that you needed him to perform as the Cardinals are trying to win a World Series or going down the stretch. But Mark McGuire saw something in him. And as he told us there, was telling him about, about the way he places his hands and the strength in his front foot and things that he was seeing from him that led him to go to Tony La Russa, advocate to keep David Freeze in the lineup and, and this is the guy who end up, ended up becoming a legend mm-hmm. and had one of the all-time postseason runs for this organization, which is saying something given how many greats have worn that uniform. And I wonder what the numbers would have said at that time and if the numbers would have um, been in alignment with Mark McGuire and what he actually saw. Yeah, maybe you have Nick Punto at third rather than David Freeze as you start the playoffs. That would have been really interesting. And then who would have been there to shred? Yeah, right. When the Cardinals win. How does that happen? Mark (laughs) has become a a good friend of the show and always gives us a nugget. Last time we talked to him, he told us a story about how after 97, he went back to Anaheim to record a commercial at the Angels Stadium. And the equipment guy was there and brought out a number 25 Angels McGuire jersey that they had made up because they were convinced that they were going to get Mark McGuire. He said, I don't think I've ever told that story before. Today, he tells us that when he retired, 
he could have played another five or six years, and that's his big regret, that he didn't get an opportunity, he didn't take the opportunity to spend more time playing with Albert Pujols. And I can understand why that would be a regret, but think about how that decision changed the trajectory the trajectory, excuse me, of the organization in so many different ways. What do the Cardinals look like? What moves weren't made had Mark McGuire stayed longer? Well, one thing is certain. He, he left a two-year, $30 million contract in his desk drawer to retire. I can't believe that. Okay. His move allowed Albert Pujols to move to first base mm-hmm. because the Cardinals didn't, at that time, want Magu- uh, Albert to be throwing. He had a bad elbow. So they moved Albert to first. If they have McGuire under contract and playing first base in 2002, or at least playing partially at first base, Scott Rowland certainly never becomes a Cardinal, right? Because Albert's either playing third or or, or Polanco's playing third and, and Albert is in left. But they don't spend the money to go out and get Scott Rowland when you have both McGuire and Pujols in the lineup together in, in 02. It is so crazy to look back and think, what if? What if this one thing didn't happen? How does that change mm-hmm. the path? We're talking about the 2011 World Series today. What if Mark McGuire doesn't advocate for David Freeze? What if Colby Rasmus doesn't get traded? What, does that ever happen? It's it's amazing to look at the what is at the center of this, which is a championship, and look at the threads that yeah. go far-reaching beyond it, including if Mark McGuire makes that decision, what does that mean for Albert Pujols, and what does Albert Pujols look like when we get to 2011? Where, where is he in the equation? And Michelle, one other aspect to this, and I wanted to have Mark on because we think about the players. We think about Pujols winning his last World Series here, and we think about David Freeze and Yachty and Chris Carpenter winning his last World Series here, but I wanted to make sure that we talked to Mark about winning a ring in St. Louis. That was really important for him. The reason that he came back, aside from doing it for Tony Larusa, was because he didn't win a ring as a player in St. Louis. And that was important to mm-hmm. him. And when we asked him the question, what it means to him, he said everything that he was able to win here. And he's so grateful to Tony for mm-hmm. giving him the opportunity to come back. And I wonder, Randy, once he has more time, uh, obviously, as he shared with us in the interview, he's very busy with his kids and all of their activities and and coaching them and being a great father. But you can hear it in his voice, how much he missed baseball. He said it several times. It's in my blood. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what sort of role he wants to assume when he does get back in baseball. Would he want to be a hitting coach again? Would Mark McGuire want to be a manager? Because I think he would be an excellent manager. And he's accepting of analytics, but also understands that you can't as we've mentioned with the Cardinals, our perception earlier this season was that they were paralyzed by analytics. He uses analytics as a tool for him to use rather than him being used by the analytics. I think he'd be a terrific manager, aside from the fact that he'd have to deal with the media twice a day. I wonder, because whenever we speak to him, he is so generous with his time. He's so honest and transparent Mm -hmm. about anything we ask him about, and he gives us such thorough answers. But I wonder what that would be like, because Obviously, when we talk to him, we're talking about Long Gone Summer, mm-hmm. a great documentary on ESPN, the 30 for 30 about the home run chase. We're talking about when he won the, the World Series as the hitting coach of the Cardinals. We're talking about his 
foresight in David Freeze. It's all positive things. What's that like when twice a day you have to answer to the media if your team loses? Is that a headache that he wants to absorb? I don't know. I, I also wonder with organizations and front offices being so integrated with the analytics, if they really want to bring in a manager that might push back on that a little bit, a manager that might take more of an old school approach. And I think Tony LaRusa and Jerry Reinsdorf in that relationship is kind of an outlier here. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what organizationally they would think about somebody like Mark McGuire coming in and saying analytics isn't everything. Yes, we'll use them, but there are things that I see from my my baseball knowledge and the feel of the game and men not machines and this is the approach that I want to take. I wonder how many organizations would be all aboard on that train. I'm going to say this as an old guy who isn't... Look, I I understand that analytics are important. They're a great tool to have. Mm But regardless of how integrated you are as a baseball organization with analytics, I can tell every of the 30 organizations this. Your organization is going to be better if it has Mark McGuire in it than it is without having Mark McGuire in it. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. They would be lucky to have him. Yeah, anybody would. Anybody would. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, getting back to... More of your mic drops, more of your text, your strongest and most fond memories from the 2011 Cardinals as the Redbirds celebrate the 10-year anniversary of that world championship this weekend. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And that'll go to Punto. And that'll do it. So important here in the last couple of days. One hopper to Nick Punto. And a 1-2-3 inning for Chris Carpenter. And there's a shot off the glove of Carpenter. From the first base. And in time, Punto and for call. Both making sparkling plays into the fourth inning. First pitch. Drive into center field. John Jay is back and makes the catch on the base of the wall for out number one. Round ball to Descalso in third. Two gone. In the bottom of the ninth inning, round ball to the right side. Punto has it. And running over, and the Cardinals have done it. Happy play! Happy play! Happy play! Happy play! Have you ever been as nervous as you were when... Chris Carpenter pitched that game with a 1-0 lead against the Phillies, against the vaunted Phillies lineup with Rollins and Utley and Ryan Howard, and just continued to buzz through their lineup and came away with a 1-0 victory. After that, I was. I think when you're down to your last strike twice in a World Series game, you might be a little bit more nervous. But up until that point, no. Because here are the Cardinals, who even though they have some magic going, even though they have overcome a a ten-and-a-half game deficit to get to this point, you still know that the Phillies are an incredibly tough opposition, a really, really strong baseball team. Oh, and even though you have a lot of confidence in baseball, Jesus, Chris Carpenter, and you know that he's putting you in a great position to win, his opposition is Roy Halladay. So, no, I don't think I was ever so nervous entering a game. I'll never forget where I was. I was at the University of Indiana watching that game. Illinois played Indiana that weekend, and I was there. And I forced everyone to stay in and watch that game. And we were all sitting on the edges of our seats, holding our breath during that entire game. It was great. Those are such great memories from 2011. And we want to hear yours. We've got a mic drop here from Shell, who joins us with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 
Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy. Um, this is about the fans who, well, I think they call themselves fans who wanted the Cardinals to miss the playoffs. Um, whatever their reasons are, and everybody can have their opinions and their reasons, but like you said, you can't really be a fan of a team if you want them to lose. Um, but more than that, and the thing that trumps that over everything is that fan who texted in on Peak or Pit and mentioned their father in hospice and that they get to brighten their spirits by updating them about the Cardinals. Um, it's situations like that that give sports power, that give sports this, you know, healing effect over all of us, um, whether it be our, our just emotional feelings, our physical feelings, whatever it may be. So basically anybody that doesn't understand that it matters if we win, it matters if we make the playoffs, it doesn't matter how far we go, just that we actually give it our best. If you don't get that, then you don't get humanity. And that's pretty much the end of it. So uh, love the show, love you guys, and look forward to listening the rest of the day and next week. Well said, and love you too. And can you imagine, Michelle, having going into that last weekend of the season, last game, 162 of 2011, and saying, you know what, this team's not that great. They'll be better off if they just miss the playoffs, get a better draft <laughs> choice next year. No, I can't. Can you imagine not having the experience of what we just heard with Chris Carpenter, not experiencing game six with Freeze, or not experiencing crushing the dreams of Tony Plush? Think of (laughs) all the cool things that happened. We would have never had Rally Squirrel. That's if, right. If we never have ha- when we just heard Happy Flight, we were all yep. chanting along in the studio. We wouldn't have Happy Flight. We wouldn't have David Freeze. We wouldn't have We'll See You Tomorrow Night. That that entire ride was so unbelievable. It was so special. And that was such a great mic drop. I feel like I should mm-hmm. do a slow a slow clap there. It's not in my DNA or your DNA to not enjoy a postseason run, however long it may be or however short it may be. It's not in our DNA to cheer against our city or the players that represent our city. And I understand that some people out there think that not making the postseason might spur whatever action it is that they're hoping the team might take. But the team's going to try to win regardless. But don't you want to be in this moment? Don't you want to have a chance? Think think about back to that season and the feelings you felt. I hear that open that Emily just made, and I get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I It takes me back to exactly where I was. And uh, I believe it was Shell on the mic drop was so right. It, it's all about humanity. We we remember the the feelings vividly like they were yesterday. And more importantly, we remember the people that we were with. We remember sharing those moments with our family, with our friends. And we know how important it is to St. Louis to have stuff like this. And think about that stadium. Think about mm-hmm. game six. Those were all people from all walks of life, different ages, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses. And we were all pulling the rope together and cheering for one thing. That's what sports does. Yeah. Let's hear from Lewis. Next, My favorite memory of the 2011 season was being in the stadium for game six, standing uh, in the concourse area out behind the bleachers in left field. Couldn't really see what was going on. But as soon as Freeze hit that home run, I, I swear that that stadium shook. It was electric. I've never I've never been a part of something even close to that since. And, you know, we were up way later than we should have been celebrating and it was game six you still had a game seven to win but after that it was just kind of just known that we were going to win the world series and we did so that was my greatest memory that's awesome and it was in my mind a fait accompli me too well we asked mark mcguire the same thing but 
if you're the Cardinals, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? You're riding that momentum into Game 7. We're a team of destiny after this. That How do you come back after that? But then you're also thinking, wait, we were down to our last direct twice, and we came back. Yeah, right. <laughs> we still have a game to play. <laughs> so maybe they could do it, too. And I think about Game 6 and how we would have viewed that had the Cardinals lost Game 7. Yeah, Joe talks about that all the time. And remember, he told us, Joe Buck, going into Tony's office and saying, if we don't win tonight, it'll be a footnote. We won't remember it. It it would be remembered fondly here by us, just like the Albert Pujols home run in Houston. But on a national level, we would not have seen Game 6 so much at the beginning of the pandemic on ESPN and MLB Network if the Cardinals had not won Game 7. That's right. Let's let's get one more quick mic drop from John on 101 ESPN. So I missed Game 6 of the World Series because I had gone to bed. I feel like I have a good reason. I was preparing to switch careers, working plenty of overtime in my current job and also working a second job while taking online classes before moving to St. Louis so I could go back to school to earn a degree. Um, I waited until I graduated to rewatch that game and enjoy a couple cold ones and it was still pretty sweet even though I missed the original. So I'll always remember going to sleep but then making up for it later. That's unbelievable. A lot going on there. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad that you were able to watch it and celebrate later. But during the pandemic, Game 6 was on a lot. And I think mm. it might have been what what should have been the Cardinals' home opener. They played it, I, I believe it might have been on ESPN that day. Wherever it was, a lot of us watched it together. And we know the outcome. We've seen this game multiple times. And I still had my heart beating out of my chest. And I still felt like I couldn't breathe watching that game, mm. knowing that they were going to win. It was unbelievable. And it's... Hey, Hey, you mentioned it. Sports is all about hopes and dreams. And your dreams came true if you're a Cardinal fan. <laughs> and you that's the thing about the playoffs. Your, your dreams can't come true unless your team makes the playoffs. And that's the bottom line here. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Cardinals and Padres this weekend. We're going to talk about 2021 with Cliff Floyd of MLB Network, a former Padre player. We'll ask what he thinks the Cardinals need to get accomplished this weekend next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. a phone call from Cliff Floyd of MLB Network. We hope we hear from him. Michelle, I wanted to pass you something along that was just uh, pointed out to me from the Jerry Jones deposition in the NFL lawsuit. This is from the argument from the St. Louis side. Uh, Jones took all of the actions in trying to move the Rams to L.A., even though he has admitted that St. Louis was capable of supporting an NFL team. He stated that St. Louis, quote, is certainly an NFL town without question. Let me make that real clear. It's an NFL town all the way. Uh, Jones testified that St. Louis could support an NFL franchise financially, that St. Louis had, quote, great fans who would, quote, buy tickets, and that corporate support existed in St. Louis to back an NFL team. The reason Jones advocated so strongly for the Rams' relocation is not disputed. Even though Jones knew St. Louis could support the Rams, he believed the Rams would reap more, uh, the greatest financial gain for the league in Los Angeles. In fact, shortly after defendants, the NFL and the Rams, uh, proved 
approve the Rams' relocation. The Rams entered into their $40 million contract with Legends, a company partially owned by Jones' teams, the Cowboys. Uh, Jones' actions were reckless as to the rights of plaintiffs. This according to the... Uh, the, the argument, especially considering the, that he admitted that St. Louis deserved an NFL team. What? Huh? He, so, he's so, all about the money. But he, 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 so he's saying in, in his deposition that they lied? Well, that when they said that St. Louis could not support yes. the Rams and that St. Louis was not a viable NFL market and that there was not enough corporate support to support the Rams and that too many people were into the Cardinals and fans were not coming up, that that was all a lie? He is he's saying, admitting that in his deposition? Yeah, he, he's saying what we already know, that the relocation proposal by the Rams was a farce. In his deposition. Right. So they're just digging their own grave and it's, here. It's, it's, it's what we've all said. If the Rams and the NFL would have just said, hey, we're in it for the money. We're going to L.A. because it's a bigger, more lucrative market that will increase the franchise value of that team and therefore increase the franchise value of our teams. That's why we're, we're doing it. That's why they did it. But they had to smear St. Louis on the way out the door, and it's going to wind up costing them. I can't imagine the St. Louis side of this when they get the deposition of Jerry Jones. Well, the, the, what the, it must have been like. Now, I was told Jerry Jones didn't lie. I was told in the yeah. opposition that Jerry just says what he thinks. And they, I was said told clearly he did not lie in his op- de- deposition. This is definitely not lying. But if you're on the St. Louis side of things and Jerry Jones gives those honest answers, you, you, all you have to do is replay their own words. Yep. You don't even have to do any heavy lifting. No, you don't. It's uh, as, again, I've been told by uh, an attorney on the St. Louis side, this has been handed to St. Louis on a silver platter. It's unbelievable. To, uh, to, that's to paraphrase, but it's, it is amazing that the NFL did this and now is just so arrogant about it. Yeah, I'm kind of at a, a loss for words here, Randy, because... I assumed that the NFL would try to finesse this a little more. Mm -hmm. I assumed that they had a game plan and sort of a strategy there to express why they didn't think it would work in St. Louis. But Jerry Jones just outright says, nope, St. Louis is great. Fans were there. Corporate support was there. We could have made it work, but we just we wanted the money. We didn't want to. Yeah, I can't believe that that he was so honest. Because this entire time I've been saying to you on and off the air that my concern is that the NFL is going to do something backdoor channel wise to try to sway this in their favor because with the NFL, it's all about money. Mm -hmm. Just like this move was all about money. Jerry Jones just said it. It wasn't about St. Louis. This was all about money. So when money is on the line here with this lawsuit, my concern is that they will stop at nothing, even if it's not proper or not above board for them to not have to fork over billions of dollars to St. Louis. But when I hear Jerry Jones being very blunt about their intentions here, I have to tell you, it, it, takes me aback a little bit. I was not prepared for that. It's the old man saying whatever he thinks syndrome, right? That's that's what it is. They, especially an old rich man says whatever he thinks. And that's exactly what Jerry Jones is doing here to his own detriment. But he's under oath. Maybe he's a man of God. and Maybe he, he respects the U.S. justice system so much. That, that might be. And so he, he says, yeah, St. Louis, their fans will buy tickets. They're, they've got the corporate support. They'll support a team. But we let we took their team away anyway. Wow. Which, again, if all of those things that he says 
and he's the commissioner of the league. He says that that goes directly against the NFL's relocation guidelines because to move a team, you have to show uh, the team has to show that it can't be supported in that community. If, <laughs> this is outrageous. Absolutely. It goes against your guidelines. It goes against everything that the, the Rams and the NFL said in, in what was it? Not, what's the word? Not a packet, but in their petition to move, right. essentially. And anything that they've said after this, after the fact. And if Jerry Jones was that honest, you probably have all the ammunition that you need. But I wonder what the other owners or if Roger Goodell, whoever else was deposed, I wonder how honest they were about this. This is going to be a very, very interesting suit. And it's going to be an interesting court case because I guess what the NFL is going to have to do is count on legalese. They're going to have to count on spinning things their way. But from an emotional standpoint, I don't care where you are in America, where this case would be heard. If you just look at the facts of the case, I think a logical juror is going to side with St. Louis. I don't know. And I know that we are emotionally invested. We're, we're biased here. But if you're just looking at the facts, if you're looking at the NFL saying these were our relocation guidelines, we negotiated in good faith with St. Louis. There was no corporate support. There was no fan support. We couldn't get the stadium done that we wanted there. And so we had to have a secret meeting and, and move the team to L.A. And then the, the suit is based on. St. Louis alleging that there was something that was uh, crooked the, the about this. The fix was in, exactly. And then you have Jerry Jones, who is the head of the snake here. He mm-hmm. is the highest one on the hierarchy here. It's Jerry, it's Roger, it's Stan, and then it's the other owners. When you have the person at the tippy top, the one who puppeteered this entire thing, saying, yeah, it was all about the money. It had nothing to do with any of this. Yeah. That reads to me like someone who's never had to face consequences in their life. That reads to me like someone who has always had money get them out of every issue that they've ever had and doesn't really care. He thinks that he's going to get out of this no matter what. So yep. why do I need to lie? Very well said. A good thought. Yeah, exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, we're sorry that we weren't able to bring you Cliff Floyd, but I think we brought you something even more interesting with okay. Jerry Jones comments. That is the most shocking thing I've heard in a long time. Jerry Jones, the NFL being honest. I'm shocked. <laughs> He's just he's he's not slick, man. He's blunt about it. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, I'm proud to be on the board of directors of Code 3 Response, which provides support to first responders, police officers, and firefighters who either get injured or suffer an illness. And it's not just like Backstoppers. Backstoppers supports the families of first responders who are killed in the line of duty. What Code 3 Response does is supports those injured and uh, injured firefighters and police officers and their families that uh, survive and uh, still need help. And tomorrow, Code 3 Response is going to hold its fifth annual Hot Dogs with Heroes. It's to honor Mike Flamion, who was injured in a shooting about uh, five years ago. It's at Chesterfield Mall, the parking lot at Chesterfield Mall from 11 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon. Our friends next door at Casey are going to be there from 11 to 3, and they do fantastic work at Code 
Code 3 response. You, all you need to do is follow them on Facebook at Hot Dogs with Heroes. Just search Hot Dogs with Heroes. But if you can stop by and check out the auctions and all the great things happening with Hot Dogs with Heroes tomorrow, 11 to 5 at the parking lot at Chesterfield Mall. And with that, we'll get things started with... You're killing me, Smalls. Thank you for sharing that, Randy. You got it. So a lot of people are really high on Jalen Hurts after week one. A lot of people are saying that he's going to be the guy in Philly and that people were underestimating him and his skill set, and they're looking at Jalen Hurts to be uh, a very good quarterback in this league. Well, Bart Scott, of course, over at ESPN, is sick of this. He's he's (laughs) sick of everyone riding high on Jalen Hurts, especially since they beat the Falcons week one. Sorry, Anthony Stalter. But he said, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. If the if the Eagles, who play the 49ers this week, if the 49ers don't beat the Eagles, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, listen. Come on. I bet you okay. that if the, if, the, if the 49ers lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. I'll shave my eyebrow up. What say you? Oh, my God. What say you? Oh. What say you? Let's see. Yeah, we know you be beating your face up. You're going to be drawing your eyebrows on. Uh, Put your money where your mouth is, Steve Woods. Put your eyebrows up. Right one, left one. I don't care if you smell what the rock is cooking. Would you ever gamble one of your eyebrows to prove a point? Would Have you ever felt so confident about a take or about a prediction that you would gamble one of your eyebrows on it? I have, but I don't think I would do it now. I mean, you did gamble a tattoo. I did gamble a tattoo, but that wasn't because I was confident. That was because, well, it was a conf- I was confident that the Blues would never win a Stanley Cup. But, Michelle, every single game for the greatest show on turf in the 99 playoffs, it never, even when the Rams were down 6-5 to five against Tampa, it never even entered my mind that there was the possibility that they could lose a game. Yeah. So every single one of those postseason games, Minnesota, Tampa, Tennessee, I went in thinking that they were going to win 49-3. to three. And I would have absolutely made that bet, and then the other person would have had to shave their eyebrow off. But I don't know if anyone would have taken that bet against you and more importantly, against the greatest show on turf. No one would have gambled an eyebrow betting against that team. And I I wouldn't make this bet if I were Bart Scott. Now, I I appreciate the confidence. Yeah. But I think there's a chance that the Eagles could knock off the Niners. I do, too. And I really like Bart Scott. I think he's very entertaining. I think he's a a great addition to the ESPN roster there. But all of a sudden now I have a little bit more rooting interest in this game because even though I love Bart Scott, I I want the Niners to lose. I want to see Bart (laughs) Scott have to shave off one of his eyebrows and do TV appearances without an eyebrow for a while because I wonder how long it takes for an eyebrow to grow back. I don't know. And I wonder if it grows back the same way. That's a really good question. But aren't you kind of cheering for that to happen now? Yeah, I kind of am. Yeah. Can't wait. You love that drop. (laughs) You love that. You're killing me, Smalls. So we know that the Mets are a hot mess. There has been some turmoil over there for a while. Even when Steve Cohen came in and spent a bunch of money and committed himself and and his checkbook to the Mets, it's still the Mets, and there's a lot of stuff happening there. Jared Porter getting fired for sexual harassment. Zach Scott getting arrested for a DWI. Well, there's a recent article in the New York Post that really chronicles just how hot of a hot mess this is. It, It goes into all of the front office turmoil that's been going on. 
And there's a quote in that from an anonymous source that really upset Mets owner Steve Cohen. Here's the quote. It says, Cohen is out there tweeting about the organization and about stuff that he shouldn't be tweeting about like he's a fan, a quote former executive said. Why would somebody want to sign up for that? I think it's a huge issue. So what does Steve Cohen do? He takes to Twitter. (laughs) He says, quote, insightful source in Mike Puma's article in the New York Post today, the person who can guess the source correctly will have the opportunity to sit with me in my suite at City Field. First one right wins. So the article says him tweeting is a problem. And then he takes to Twitter to say whoever can sniff out the anonymous source, you're going to have a reward. So a bunch of people, of course, start tweeting at him. And a lot of people guessed former Marlins executive and current CBS sports personality, David Sampson, Mm -hmm. as being the source behind the story. Steve Cohen then takes to Twitter again and says, well, Twitter figured it out as usual. The source who has already put out a pre-denial denial is David Sampson. I'll have my press people reach out to the three winners. So Stick with me here. Both Samson and Mike Puma, who is the art, the article's author, denied that Samson is the source. And David Samson tweeted, sorry, Steve Cohen, but I hope those three fans still get to watch a game with you. Wow. This is great. I love the drama. And Steve Cohen is kind of, he's the, I believe, he is the social media era version of George Steinbrenner. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's got a little like a little Mark Cuban in him too. Yeah. Yeah, he he gets marketing, which is good. Now, he needs to fix the team, clearly. But I don't necessarily think like the unnamed source said that it is a bad thing in New York. I believe in St. Louis it would be a bad thing, but and by the way, you never win trying to battle the media either. But it's kind of fun to watch from afar because it's a, it's a New York team that's a dumpster fire. It is, of course. But I don't know if my first reaction to an article about front office turmoil that cites me tweeting as a main issue in the demise of my team or negative feelings within my organization. I don't know if my first reaction then would be to go tweet and prove the anonymous source's point. You're proving their point. But you are rational (laughs) and he is not so this is that's part of what makes it fun you're right you're killing me smalls okay randy so uh i know you're such a huge soccer guy love soccer and so i wanted to bring the story to your attention city t-shirt sitting right next to me thanks to our friends at stl city by the way that's right for providing us uh some some swag some some shirts they're great shirts. I love my new City SC shirt. And if you haven't already, download the City SC app. Mm, it is a beautiful app. The design is impeccable. It's very clean. The interface is super easy to use. You can build your own kit, which Randy did, and he shared on, I think, Instagram, Insta- right? At yeah. Randy Carriker? Yep. At Randy Carriker on Instagram. Follow him. Unbelievable Did you content. share yours? I did. You know what? I didn't because I was going through because I wanted to see, and it said share now, and we were in a commercial break, and I said no, just so I could get to the, the homepage. So I need to retroactively mm-hmm. go back and then share because I did build a, build a beautiful Smallman 13 kit. I believe it. Yes. So anyway, Christian, Cristiano Ronaldo, who I know Randy used to relax yeah. on, he's been dealing with some issues. So he had a three million seven bed home that he was living in, and there were bleeding sheep that were on the property. Sheep that just kept making so much noise, and poor Ronaldo could not get a good night's sleep. He kept waking up in the middle of the night. So a security team came in. They took Ronaldo and his family to a new six million dollar home, twenty three acres away, so that he could get some sleep. 
Ronaldo, all you have to do is start counting them. <laughs> You're good. Don't worry about it. Just count sheep and you can get a good night's rest. There has to be a better way than having to buy a new $6 million home, doesn't there? Maybe have somebody come out and move the sheep elsewhere rather than getting a new home. Now, maybe he wanted the new home. I don't know. A shepherd, perhaps, could come in. That'd be a good idea. But we know how important rest is. Tom Bring Brady, one in from Germany? Maybe. German shepherd? I mean, Tom Brady talks about the special PJs that he wears. He goes to bed at, a, at I think, 8 p.m. every night mm-hmm. so he can get nine hours of sleep and be super rested. I, I remember reading about Tom Brady's sleep routine, and he does, like, animal dander in the room. It has to be a certain temperature mm-hmm. for him to get an optimal night's sleep. These athletes take their sleep very seriously, Randy. So even though th- that Ronaldo's in a beautiful $3 million home in the rolling countryside, the sheep... Too noisy. Can't have it. Ronaldo, and I know you're listening on the app. That's right. He loves to stream. And Michelle and I can both vouch for this. Get yourself a heavy blanket. A weighted blanket is key. Yeah, I've got a weighted blanket at home. It's very heavy. It's a game changer, really. But no worries, because Ronaldo's in a new home in Cheshire. It has a pool, a cinema room, a four-car garage for some of his 17 million pound supercars, a CCTV camera, electric gates, and it's patrolled by guards. Good for you, Ron. Ron? That's what I that's what I know him as. Oh, do you think Ron listens to Stapes? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Ron. <laughs> Ron. Or Chris. I want you to build a City SC kit that just says Ron. <laughs> okay, I can do that. Okay, finally, speaking of Tom Brady, Tom Brady is so fun. He is the best personality in the NFL. Well, he and his buddy Gronk. So Tampa Bay does this great thing on their website called Tommy and Gronky. It's a series where uh, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, they sit by a little wading pool with some ducks in it. Tom Brady has on a bucket hat. And they answer some of the most commonly Googled or asked questions about them, including one about how long Tom Brady might play. Can Tom Brady play until 50 years old? Wow. Seems to be a really hot question lately. Can Tom Brady play till 50? Like 50 years old. Yeah, 50. 50. You're 44, that's six more years. I think, I mean, I don't find it so difficult. And plus in the Florida, it's kind of a retiree state. So I feel like I can play and then just glide into retirement. I think I can, I think it's a yes. Several things here. Shout out to Gronk for doing the math so quickly. Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to Tom for saying he doesn't feel like it would be that hard to play until yeah. he was 50. And also, right after this, Gronk put a little spin on it, and then he said in a follow-up, will Giselle let Tom play until he's 50? And Tom basically said, no, that's the real question. Oh. And that, that would be the problem, <laughs> is will Giselle let me play that long? I just like the the visual of those two sitting in, in Adirondack chairs, barefoot, with the kiddie pool in front of them, and as you mentioned, the rubber duckies in the kiddie pool, and a huge sign by the kiddie, little foot-tall kiddie pool that says, no lifeguard on duty. <laughs> those guys it's are having fun. so much fun. They are having a great time. It's like a jailbreak for them. It really is. Yeah, it's, and uh, the, the it's mean... Like, it's like Red and Andy Dufresne when they went to the beach. Yeah, and got away from the warden. Yeah, Shawshank. Yeah, and Bill Belichick was the warden. Totally. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. (laughs) Coming up next, we want more of your memories of the 2011 Cardinal Championship season. And at 10.15, by the way, Danny Mack off today, so we're going to 11. 10.15, we are going to talk to the general manager of that team, John Mozeliak, here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Danny Mac off today. Michelle and Randy with you until 11 o'clock. And our favorite memories of the 2011 championship season. And some of these we learned subsequently. And one of my all-time favorites from the 2011 season is Chris Carpenter. And I interviewed him when he went into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame and talked about his strongest memories for his game between himself and the Cardinals and at the time his best friend Roy Halladay they vacationed together in uh, the Phillies and this is one of the stories that Carpenter remembered from that series leading into game five yeah there's two uh, or three three stories I'll tell about that game one was the bus ride the night before um, I remember sitting on the bus with Nick Punto and Gerald Laird and a couple other guys talking about um if you just give me a couple runs, I, I'm telling you we're going to win. Just give me a couple runs and we'll be okay. Um, and they all looked at me like I was crazy, but I, I truly believe that. How do you look at him like he's crazy when he tells you that? I believe him. I believe him, too. Just like if Adam Wainwright said yep. that on the bus right now, I think everybody would believe him. Right. So we get into the game. The Cardinals score the run. Skip Schumacher drives home Raphael for call with a run in the top of the first, and Carpenter takes the mound. Uh, I've told this story many times is that Philly was loud. I mean, they were super loud. I noticed in the first inning, though, like every out, I'd get an out and the, the decibels would come down. I'd get an out, the decibels would come down. And at the end of the, like you get the third out and it was quiet. And then I go running back out on the mound in the second and the same thing. They're going crazy, waving their towels. I'd get an out and it, 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 the, the volume would go down. So I started playing a game. To, I was paying attention to the, to the volume of the stands. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. That is amazing. But it also <laughs> brings me back to the pandemic and how important crowds are and mm-hmm. how much athletes feed off the crowd and feed off the energy of the crowd, including the opposing crowd, and knowing that you're performing to such a high level that you're silencing the crowd. Yeah. And I <laughs> and so I'm cool. and I love that that was a little game within the game that he was playing with himself, monitoring after every pitch or every out that he would record the decibel level going down yeah. and down and down. And then the third one was really cool too, as the uh, Cardinals are getting ready, he's getting ready to go out for the ninth inning. He said that Mike Aldretti, the assistant hitting coach at the time, was almost hyperventilating. He was so nervous. He was saying, "Carp, what are we going to do? What are we going to do here, Carp? What are we going to do?" And <laughs> Carpenter goes up to him as calm as can be, hits him on the back and says, Mike, I got this. We're good. <laughs> and then he goes out and sets him down in the night. Sometimes it's the players that are more calm than the people around. I right. know anybody in the stands, anybody watching, anyone that had a rooting interest in that game was obviously a ball of nerves. We spoke to Mark McGuire earlier in the show who said that he doesn't think he's ever been so nervous in his life than he was during game six. And for coaches or people that are involved in the team but aren't out there physically playing, you have no control mm-hmm. over anything. Right. At least with Chris Carpenter, he's in full control. He has confidence in himself and his abilities and in the team behind him. So it's easier 
to push those nerves aside when you know that you're in control of the situation. Whether it's Mark McGuire or Tony LaRusso or Andretti or Derek Lilliquist, they all they can only sit by and watch. Let's get a mic drop from Elgin, who joins us on Carriker and Smallman. The one thing that I will remember about that season is in the World Series, it was, I think it was game six, and they were losing, and my daddy called, and we were talking about it. I was like, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off, and I got off the phone with him, and I was out doing something, so I didn't get a chance to see it. And I just remember him calling me, and I couldn't even understand what he was saying. When he called me, he was like, <laughs> and that's all I remember. So I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Then I was able to get home and seeing the highlights and everything. And, yeah, that's that, that's one of the things I remember. That's what it's all about with sports, right? That's just another aspect of sports that you remember that so vividly. And it's a family tie. And... <laughs> You're you're down and you're out doing something and you find out by somebody going crazy. And the first person your dad wants to call is you. But imagine trying to, in the moment, in the immediacy of that game, convey to someone what happened. (laughs) Right. You don't even have the words to describe what happened. You're riding high on adrenaline and euphoria. I don't think I could have been able to say anything other than we won. They won. Mm -hmm. They did it. Get Mm -hmm. to a TV. Yeah, just how do you describe what yeah, you just witnessed? You, yeah, you can't. No, it's it's unbelievable. Here's one from the three one four. Mark McGuire had told us this earlier about Tony Larusa telling the team on the bench when they were a strike away from defeat a couple of times to remain on the bench and accept defeat and go out and thank the fans after the after the Rangers celebrated. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make sure that the Cardinal players went out and thanked the fans for being as great as they were, which is hard to believe. That, that Tony would accept that? Yes. That, and I understand that he wants to make sure to get that messaging across before the end of the game, because once the game is over, it's probably hard to corral everybody to do that. But Tony LaRusso is the most hyper-competitive person, maybe tie for first, as he says, but he's in that conversation than anyone we've ever spoken to. So to think until it, the fat lady had sung and it was completely over that he would even be thinking that it was over is surprising to me. Yeah. And another text, my favorite part of 2011 is Niger Morgan talking smack on Twitter, <laughs> telling us to have fun playing golf and eating his words after we beat the Brewers for the National League pennant. I remember when he called Albert Pujols Alberta, and I was like, oh, no, what are you doing? But thank you. Yeah, big mistake. Huge. Huge. (laughs) But also, again, thank you. One more quick mic drop before we get to John Mozeliak. Here is Scott on 101 ESPN. I'll never forget where I was during the 2011 World Series. I was in Afghanistan watching on AFN, rooting for the boys, and couldn't believe that they were actually going to pull this off. After they won, I walked down to the dining facility, full army uniform, all my gear, and a Cardinals hat. (laughs) I got the strangest looks from everybody around but did not care. The boys had just pulled it off. Go Cardinals. And there were so many people. Michelle, we've gotten a lot of texts, and Scott 
telling us his story. So many people that were deployed in the military that were up at all hours Mm -hmm. of the morning where they were watching the Cardinals in the World Series and being uplifted with where they were by the fact that their hometown team was the one that was doing what the Cardinals were doing. Scott, thank you for your service and thank you for the mic drop. And isn't that so special to think about that Cardinals fans literally all over the world were watching and celebrating at the same time Mm -hmm. and sharing that moment? Because even though Scott had to wear his Cardinal hat and people were looking at him like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> looking at him like he was crazy. He knew that all over the world, people were celebrating at the same time that he was, which is so cool. One more quick Texas from the 573. My wife went into labor during game six. On our way to the hospital, Hamilton hit the home run and I thought it was over. Oh. But luckily, we made it to the hospital in time to see the freeze home run. Uh, my wife had the, my daughter the next morning and I held her that night watching game seven. Best day of my life at that point. That's incredible. Yeah. I don't know if it gets much better than that. You having a child and watching that game unfold at the same time, two huge moments, probably the biggest moment in your sports life and the biggest moment in your personal life at the same time. That's a lot of emotions happening at once. I wonder if the daughter has the middle name Freeze. Or David. Or David. (laughs) One of them. One or the other. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. John Mozeliak made a huge trade that year leading up to the Cardinals championship. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This team crashed the postseason party and they're one out away. And now two strikes away. And this weekend, the Cardinals will celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the 2011 World Championship team. John Mozeliak was the general manager of the squad then. Now he's the president of baseball operations, and he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Mo. Thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good morning. Well, first of all, these 10 years have uh, have zipped by, and that was, to this point, your World Championship team. Uh, I wanted to know, did you think... Or, or as you reflected on that season, was there a watershed moment for you where the, the Cardinals kind of came out of the, the dust after August and you thought, hey, this team has a chance to be a world champion? God, I think I'd be lying if I said yes. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the, there were so many moments, like, when you when you think back to, to that year, like, like, you know, how, like, at any given thing that happens, your trajectory or, or the direction of where an organization may go could change or because it hinges on like sort of what happens. And, you know, I think back to that game where we had a day game against the Mets, ground ball to for call. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't make the play. We end up losing it. And, and there was a lot of momentum going into that. And had we won that, it would have had a much different feel. Unfortunately, we lost. Um, you know, there were, there were times when, when like Tony and I met, towards the end of the year where, where he had told me that he was stepping down. Obviously, that offseason, we were going to have the probably the most stressful free agent uh, negotiation we would ever have with someone by the name of Albert Pujols. And so there were always like things that you were thinking about 
in the future. And so when you reflect back on the season, and it obviously was a storybook ending, um, but even that postseason run, there was there was times where you're like, oh my gosh, it's not going to work. It's going to end, and then you end up winning. And you know, you think about that game five against Philly. You think about uh, Milwaukee, and and they were a very good club, but we were just you know, hitting on all cylinders at that point. And then, of course, game six of the World Series. So there were so many, like, moments that had they not gone our way, who knows exactly how things end up. And here we are 10 years later. And, and obviously, from a baseball standpoint, we've had a lot of success in between. Mo, you mentioned Tony La Russa telling you he was going to step down. You know that Albert Pujols and those free agent negotiations are looming. Could you even really savor that World Series? Because it feels like the confetti wasn't even really sweeped off the field at Bush Stadium before you had to turn around and get right back to work. Yeah, so I always reflect on that night. Um, obviously, when you do what I do to 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 reach that that pinnacle is is an amazing moment. But I remember I was having a, a, a glass of wine with. Uh, Mr. DeWitt and you know my my thoughts were on you know a who who's going to replace Tony how we're going to go through that process and and in all candor I mean I'd been working on that for for really weeks um, if not months because I I had the head start but then you know wanting to get that done rather quickly because obviously with the the free agency of Pujols looming I wanted to be able to like make sure we had all our energy and focus on that when the time came. And and so, yeah, I always say to people like, you know, success is fleeting, right? I mean, it's, it's, you have that moment, but when you do these types of jobs, it's, it's really about what, what's ahead and, and what's tomorrow. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a special night, no doubt, but one that uh, the page was turned pretty quick. Mo, that was such a roller coaster year, and I had forgotten the precipitous drop off. So the Cardinals are, are up in the division by a half game on July 26th. And by August 24th, you're 10 out in the division and eight out in terms of the wild card. And you'd made a big trade in the interim there the day after you were up by a half a game. What do you think happened to the club to force it to have to be so good in September in August when you really struggled? I mean, I do think there's something to to when you do like these sort of wholesale trades, when you're bringing in a lot of new faces. I, you know, you don't have the opportunity to to have the the six weeks or five weeks of spring training to get to know each other. And I and I do think, you know, when you look back, and obviously hindsight's a little easier to do, but when you look back post July 31st, and and you really look about about what transpired, I think it just this time, this team took a little time to really gel and, and find out who we were. But yeah, there's no doubt that when you look at the month of August, it, it didn't go as we had hoped. Well, Mo, the Cardinals don't win the World Series without the trade that you made, sending Colby Rasmus to the Blue Jays. You acquired Octavio Dotel, Mark Zepchinski, Corey Patterson was in the mix, and Edwin Jackson. And a lot of those guys were key contributors in the postseason run. So how long did you work on that trade? When did you start working on it? And how quickly did that come together? Well, it, it was sort of a unique trade, right? Because when you're trying to win, it's not necessarily the trade you'd normally do. Um, you know, Colby was somebody that we thought was going to have a really bright future with us, but for some reason it just wasn't clicking here. And it really seemed like the best thing for him might be a change of scenery. And, of course, we had certain needs at the time, and you know, trying to check every box in a trade is sometimes impossible. But obviously um, we thought we could kind of throw um, – kind of numbers at it, if you will, like 
you know, bring in a lot of different players to hopefully uh, solidify the club that ultimately would win the World Series. But I don't think we went into that trade thinking like this is going to work in terms of getting us to the promised land. Tony had made some comments about Colby leading up to that date, uh, saying that he doesn't listen to Cardinal coaches much now, and that's why he gets in these funks. Did that force the trade to happen more quickly because of what Tony was saying about Colby? I mean, clearly it wasn't working here. Um, they're, they're, you know, Tony and the coaching staff, I mean, I think they tried tirelessly to, to make it work. But, you know, I, again, I think it was just one of those deals that ideally was just a, a change of scenery and, and let uh, – him go on to to try to find a fresh start, which which I think he did, you know, ultimately. But I do think um, for us, it, it was a little bit of a a fresh start as well because you, you took someone that could arguably be been a been a small distraction and and you moved on. Mo, all day we've been asking people to share their memories of that 2011 run as we get to the reunion this weekend at Bush Stadium. So when we think of that, we always think about Game 6. So we want to know, where were you during Game 6? Who were you sitting with? You're such an even keel guy. Were you screaming? Did you throw popcorn up? Take (laughs) us back to that night. What happened? Uh, Very calm, to your point. Uh, I was sitting in the box, which I always do, um, even when I'm not in World Series games, but um, so my normal seat and up there at the time, I think it, I think we had like, um, I think it was like Gersh, John Vooch, and there may have been like one other person, but um, so it was kind of quiet. Um, and then the, the one thing I do remember is I, I sort of silly or gross perhaps, but I, I remember going to the restroom and um, Commissioner Seelig was in there. And, you know, he's like, I'm really hoping you guys win this game because I'd love to see a game seven. And I'm like, well, me too, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, um, you know, sort of just off the cuff. But, you know, he was like, uh, he was obviously, uh, after we won game six, I saw him later that evening and he was like really excited. And um, as I was and, and our city was and our team was. So, yeah, it was it was just, I mean, like, look, you think about like postseason runs and, and, and when you win and stuff like that, they're always magical, right? Because you survive the gauntlet and but this particular run was incredible because right you think about that carpenter game in game five against philly you think about how great of a player david freeze was for 30 days i mean and how impactful that was and and you know there's just so many little like storylines or subplots that are so memorable and um you know even to this day you still hear things like you know have a happy flight when you have a successful road trip so um some of those like little phrases and and memories have have really you know lasted the test of time so far hey mo one more thing and this team obviously had your fingerprints all over it you were a big part of the memphis mafia getting them into the organization getting them developed your first trade was for david freeze you go out and get a necessary piece in for cal you make the big trade that we've talked about uh, you were a big part of bringing chris carpenter into town if you look at that group what are you most proud of the move and Lance Berkman too, by the way, what are you most proud of with that particular group that you were able to to accomplish and do your job? Well, most proud, um, you know, I don't think like, I guess I'm not looking at it in, in terms of like, Oh, what did I do? Or what, what did I impact? I mean, my job when I took over and in, in, in Oh seven or Oh eight for that year, I mean, it was you know a lot of things I needed to get done and 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 
change from a cultural standpoint in the organization. But, you know, the thing I, I think I take most pride in is, is the fact that it was, it was a team that won and a team that, you know, found a way to get it done. And like I said, I mean, like every year there's a winner and every year there's a story, but you're not always the team winning. You're not always the team telling the story. And, and so when I look back on it, obviously, you know, there's enormous pride and, and satisfaction of being a part of something that actually got to the finish line. And, you know, I think that's really cool. And um, it was a great group of guys and, and I'm actually looking really forward to seeing everyone and, and just saying hello um, a lot of these guys I have kept up with but some I haven't and so it, it should be a really nice evening but to uh, Michelle's point I'm also worried about the day right like like what's happening in the game and, and where we are because um, you know it's 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 not a time where you can actually just like let your hair down and, and relax because um, you know we're, we're fighting each day a lot like we did in 2011 so um, you know baseball will be on the forefront of my mind well it's on the forefront of ours too and have a great weekend we hope that the Cardinals again are telling the story after 2021 we're rooting for you yeah, well that would be special but thank you thanks Mo take care that is the Cardinals president of baseball operations John Mozalak on 101 ESPN I loved that story about game six when he's in the bathroom and Commissioner Seelig <laughs> says, I hope you win this game. I would love to see a game seven and Mo goes, me too. <laughs> and then get out of there. So it is interesting when you think about, and Jeff Luno, by the way, had been part of the organization since 03 and had a lot to do with bringing in the Discalsos and Jays and, and Craigs. But you think about Mo's first trade being Jim Edmonds for David Freeze and the the deal for for Cal, which was necessary, and then the the big deal for the bullpen guys. But mm-hmm. one that's overlooked is the signing of Lance Berkman to play right field because yeah. when they signed Lance Berkman, I kind of rolled my eyes and oh, they're bringing in a guy that's past his prime. He can't play anymore, and he got winds up getting MVP votes. You don't win game six without Lance no. Berkman. They walk Albert Pujols, Lance Berkman, with a huge hit in a, in a critical moment down to your last strike. He, without that play, the David Freeze stuff does not happen. It was a, a magical run. And like we said at the end, hopefully the Cardinals are the ones that are telling the story of another magical run in 2021. Next up, it is week two in the NFL. And Michelle and I are going to provide you with our NFL power rankings. These are the definitive power rankings for the NFL and they're coming your way next on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for the Carriker and Smallman NFL week two power rankings and we're going to preface this list by pointing something out to you. There are other people out there that do power rankings that mm-hmm. don't know what they're talking about. Correct. Don't listen to them. No, this is, in the United States of America, the definitive list of the top five teams in the National Football League. And we'll start with number five. Michelle, this is obvious, and some people just aren't recognizing it yet, but our number five is our team. The Miami Dolphins. Coming in at number five. As long as the Dolphins are winning, Randy, they're going to be on our list. And starting 1-0 with a 
tough win that they ended up pulling out versus Mac Jones and the New England Patriots destroying his debut for the Pats. 17-16 win. Xavier Howard proving why he's so important to our Dolphins. When the Dolphins win, they're on our list. Two runs for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Best quarterback in the league right now. He's 1-0, right? Nobody else is better than 1-0. So <laughs> it's uh, it's the Dolphins at number five. And by the way, let's go with a 4.5 here, too. Their division mates, the Buffalo Bills, who are a pretty good team. So they can be four and a half this week. Four and a half. See, we had a a little bit of a disagreement here on whether to include the Bills or not. So thank you for throwing them in there because our power rankings and the teams that we think are the top five teams in the NFL, different conversations. Mm-hmm. And even though the Bills were dealt a loss, I think they deserve to be mentioned. So 4.5, I'll take it. All right. 4.5 leads us to number four. Coming in at number four, Randy. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, they beat the Bills. They were mm-hmm. down at halftime and came back and knocked off the Bills. Ben Roethlisberger went with an efficient performance. Najee Harris got his started career started in good fashion. And the uh, presumptive MVP of the 2021 season, Josh Allen, held in check by that vaunted Steelers defense. They absolutely deserve to be number four in the Carriker and Smallman NFL Power Rankings for Week 2. Doesn't this happen every season mm-hmm. where people underestimate the Steelers or they think for one reason or another the Steelers will be good but they can't really handle an opponent like the Buffalo Bills and then they come out and they win. The Steelers constantly proving doubters wrong. They know what they're doing. The Steelers are starting three rookie offensive linemen. By the way, so are the Kansas City Chiefs and the Steelers really like their rookie guys and when the Steelers like their young players, I'm going to like them too because for 50 years, a half a century, they have shown that they are good at evaluating young talent. Number three. Coming. Oh, sorry. I was going to say coming in at number three. Speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, they're our number three team on these power rankings. Well, if you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be in the top five. Add to Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And we mentioned those three offensive linemen. You had two rookies and one guy that was he opted out last year. So you've got three first year offensive linemen playing. And then on the left side, Orlando Brown and Joe Thune. Offensively, you're great, and for whatever happened with Spags here in St. Louis, mm-hmm. he can make adjustments at halftime as a defensive coordinator. He can. He did against Cleveland, and they came away with a win against an AFC playoff team and another team that people around the country think are going to make it to the Super Bowl in the Cleveland Browns. That's right. Cleveland Browns were a tough opponent, and the Chiefs, of course, with a comeback win, but when you have Patrick Mahomes, who can make an incredible and an improbable throw to Tyreek Hill and somehow find a way to win you're going to have, be on this list. I think a lot of people think that the Chiefs are probably criminally underrated coming in at number three in these power rankings. I would agree with that. That leads us to number two. Well, when you start 1-0 and and you're the defending Super Bowl champions, you need to be either number one or number two. I personally, when we were putting these together, thought that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should be number one. Randy convinced me that they should be number two. So the Tampa Bay Bucks, Tommy and Gronky coming in at number two. Bring back all 22 starters and add to that. And by the way, you also brought Antonio Brown back. It's a really good team that beat a really good team in their opener in the Dallas Cowboys. Tampa Bay should not be ashamed of being at number two and over the course of the next 17 weeks they'll have the opportunity to work their way up to number one before i reveal our number one team do you think that this audio clip is being 
clipped off and sent to Tom Brady as motivation for him heading into week two because these are the only power rankings that matters. And I'm sure he's furious that as the defending Super Bowl champions who open up the NFL season, game one, come out with a win that they're not number one. They should be furious. He should be furious, but they should be furious in Tampa as well because they let go the one quarterback in the league that's more productive than Tom Brady. The quarterback at the helm of our number one team on the official Carriker and Smallman week one power rankings in the NFL. It's the New Orleans Saints and Jameis Winston and five touchdown passes against the Packers who are considered by many to be a Super Bowl contender. They do it even though they're displaced from their home because of Hurricane Ida. Mm -hmm. Their defense was the story of the day. Even though Jameis threw five touchdown passes, you hold A-Rod and that vaunted Packers offense to no touchdowns and just a field goal and route them 38-3. There's no way the Saints can't be number one in the power rankings this week. I don't know what was more shocking for me, Jameis' performance or Aaron Rodgers' performance. How well Jameis Winston played, how strong he looked, or how ineffective and inefficient Aaron Rodgers was. I watched that entire game, and even even past halftime, I thought, oh, the Packers are going to turn it on at some point. This, they're going to make a game out of this, but the Saints absolutely stomped them. And here's how good Dennis Allen and that defensive staff in New Orleans are. Marshawn Lattimore, their number one cornerback, was injured. He was compromised, played about half the game. The rest of their cornerbacks were off the street. They had rookies. They had undrafted free agents. They had free agent guys coming in. Their cornerback position is decimated, yet the Packers, with Devontae Adams and Marquez uh, Scantling Valdez and Alan Lazard, none of the Packers receivers could get open. That tells me that the Saints' defense is exceptionally well coached. So congratulations to New Orleans Mm -hmm. for being number one in the power rankings for week two, before week two in the NFL. And just to recap, coming in at number five, our Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. coming in at number four. Hey. Hey. Oh, I, I never know that you're going there because I don't hear the auto tune. Yeah, I got to get an auto tuner here. We, we need you to be able to hit auto tune because without t- the the auto tuned tings of. <laughs> T-Pain, I don't notice it. Excuse me. So coming in at number five, our Miami Dolphins. Coming in at number 4.5, we have the Buffalo Bills. Almost glossed over them. Coming in at number four, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. The number two team on our power rankings, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And shockingly, coming in at number one on the Carriker and Smallman official week one NFL power rankings, the New Orleans Saints. So there you have it. You have power rankings for week one heading into week two. And we'll do this every week during the season. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with BK and Ferrario. They're getting ready to go from 11 to 2 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. If you missed the interview with Mark McGuire, if you missed the fun interview with Jay Delsing, also John Mosellock today, you can always go to our podcast on the 101 ESPN app. And by the way, on the 101 ESPN app and at 101ESPN.com where you can hear the podcast. You can also play in our Pick'em Challenge. Make sure that uh, you get your picks in to go against Emily and Michelle and Alex Ferrario and Randy and the Fastlane guys plus Matt Holiday mm-hmm. and The Riz Show. And the Riz Show, I believe, took week one, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Riz was number one, but I think Alex Ferrario was high in the rankings. Yeah, right there behind Riz. I thought so. Watch out now. Well done. Uh, last year was a disappointment for me. Was so it? So I feel like I need to step. Did you guys pick Washington? 
I can't remember. I think so. I think I, I did. did. I filled I, it out yesterday, right, yeah, I, right I, at the end of the show. I think I picked the Giants because of, unfortunately, Taylor Heineke. What, Randy? Sorry. Let me. Caca. Uh, Caca. I, I know. It's, How dare you? I got to be honest with you, Randy. Caca uh, was making me a little, little nervous Kaka. in the fourth quarter there. When he threw that interception, what are we doing, man? Run the ball. No need to ever doubt Battlehawk legend Taylor Heineke. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Alex, what is your strongest memory of the Cardinals winning in 2011? Whether it's regular season, playoffs, World Series, and everybody has game six, right? The freeze yeah. home run. But aside from that. Well, the the Chris Carpenter game against the Phillies is one that always sticks out to me because I was watching it with my dad. I mean, we lost our minds in the basement. But, of course, game six is the one that comes out to everybody. But I got a fun story with this one. So I was dating my now wife girlfriend at the time and I was doing broadcasting at Lindenwood so I was at a high school game it was Fort Zumwalt West versus East it was a big high school football game and I was so excited but on the other hand I'm like yeah but there's also game six of the 2011 World Series oh, so yeah. broadcast ended right around I want to say it was the sixth or seventh inning of that game and so I you know, I didn't break route laws, but I sped back to campus at Lindenwood, got back there just in time to get up to my girlfriend's room, and we watched the rest of it. And I'll never forget because the entire Lindenwood campus was watching around just different places, you know, the gymnasium, the, the rec center, whatever it may be. And then when Freeze hit that home run to end it, like everybody was laying on their car horns. They were all <laughs> out. They were screaming. They were chanting. So it was a really cool moment because like you were engulfed in it as a fan because at the time I wasn't in broadcasting because I, I think my started my internship with Camo X two years later. So that's when I was with the team and I was covering them a little bit more. But at the time, that was my last real memory of, of watching a team celebrate and kind of been a fan with that team through the championship run. So it was a pretty cool moment. But that whole run was something that that you'll remember. Actually, you kind of got into that game at just the right time because the beginning of the game was not very entertaining. There was a lot of errors. Mm-hmm. You didn't feel great about the Cardinals' chances. It seems like you popped in right when things started to seesaw and kind of turn in St. Louis's favor. Well, and I didn't have the luxury like I do now of, you know, you have the, the television apps on your phone mm-hmm. that right. you can watch the game. So I'm literally broadcasting a football game <laughs> and I have the ESPN app up that's telling me what's going on. I'm like, okay, good, good, we're good. Still close game, still close game. Okay, back to the actual football game now so it was probably a terrible high school call but you know it was game six what can you I wonder how many people were listening to you, Alex, at that time. No disrespect, was. I think everybody might have been tuned into the game, so you're okay. Let's be honest. I was pretty confident in myself that everybody I thought was listening to me, nobody was listening (laughs) to me at the time, but hey, I thought they were, right? you got to have the mindset, Randy. Right, and we'll see it with the Blues in the future, the 2019 team. When a championship team gets together, and I, I had the good fortune of being around the 64 and 67 Cardinals when they would get together, or the 82 Cardinals that we've seen recently, especially with the guys going into the Hall of Fame. Whenever these guys get together, it's like they've never been apart. It's an amazing thing with championship clubs. That's the part that gets me, too. Uh, I mean, we talked with Mitchell Boggs, and I know you guys have talked with a bunch of people so far this week uh, for the 2011 group. And, you know, I just asking Mitchell about it. And the first thing we said, you know, do you stay in contact with these guys? And he's like, no. But he's like, when we get together, I guarantee it's not going to change a thing. And that's kind of the cool part. Hockey players more so than baseball players, Randy, because you know this. Michelle, you do as well. They're a tight-knit community. So 
like you may be on another team like Pat Maroon, but look, he's back in St. Louis in the offseason because he's from here. You know, a player gets traded away. Dallas Drake, when he ended his career with the Detroit Red Wings, I remember on that 50th anniversary celebration, the Winter Classic, he talked about how he still texted Keith Kachuk all mm-hmm. the time. So they're always a tight knit community, but that's always the fun part when you do the 5, 10, 15, 20 year reunion to see them get back together and kind of see the smiles that go into it. That's the part that's like, oh man, this is something cool. And we saw that in Canton with the greatest show on Turf oh, Guys, yeah. too. Oh, People yeah. that haven't seen each other in 15 years are getting together and hugging, and it's like they've never been apart. You know what's always remarkable to me as well? Uh, not only just the connection that those guys have, but any person that you talk to about a championship team, it could be a member of the coaching staff, the front office, somebody that was playing in the game. If you ask them about something specific, they will break down a play or break down a game like it just happened minutes ago. The details that they remember, the the little nuances that we as viewers probably aren't even paying attention to that are still 10 years later or in the greatest show on Turf's case, 20 years later, so fresh in their minds. It's unbelievable to me because I think as a fan, when you're watching things unfold, especially game six, all of us had a happiness blackout. We had this this rush of endorphins go to our brain and you, you can't believe what's happening. And I think we forget about a lot of the details of that game. I know when I go back and watch game six, I forget about Jaime Garcia starting and mm-hmm. I, I forget about Berkman being the one to come through when they walk Albert, but those guys remember everything. Well, uh, McGuire saying they took out Felice and brought in David Al- or uh, uh, Darren Oliver, right? Yeah. Right. And, and then he, he everybody now because we've seen it so many times remember that it was Jay and Descalso to lead off the tenth, and right. then Kyle Loesch. You, you didn't have any bench players left after that. You had to send a pitcher up to bunt, and Kyle Loesch got the bunt down, and then the Cardinals obviously got the hit later on from Berkman. But it's amazing when you go back and we watch it, and we say, oh, yeah, that happened. But those guys that were involved with it remember every little detail. See, I have such a selective memory of that playoff run. Like, I remember the Chris Carpenter game against the Phillies. Don't really remember anything other than that game. I remember the Milwaukee Brewers series, but mostly because of, you know, the Niger Morgan element of it Mm -hmm. and like the monster thing that they taunted and Yachty would taunt as well. And then I remember game six and game seven of the World Series. But if you were to give me trivia from games one through five, I don't know if I would get anything correct with it because I only remember the big moments from that run. Which player hit three home runs in one World Series game? Albert Pujols. Yeah, there you go. That. There's yeah. some trivia. Man, there you go. Mega Mind Part 2, Randy. You know what's funny? Other than Chris Carpenter starting and Alan Craig catching the final out, I couldn't tell you anything else about Game 7. Ryan, Ho- I know. I remember Ryan Howard destroying his leg running to first base. That was Game 5. That was Game Philly 5, NLDS. Yeah. No, I'm talking that? when they yeah. won the World Series. Oh, when they won the World Series. Because Game 6 was such a moment that Game 7, it's almost like I erased a lot of those fine right. details. Craig from hit my- a home run in that game. Jason Mott came on to get the save. And I remember Craig catching the, the, the final yep. ball. Like mm-hmm. that, yeah. Those are the only things that you remember from it, though, because like Michelle said, everyone always will go back to Game number 6. Well, and it's interesting also, if you go back to Game 7 and then compare that to what might Mike Matheny had. And people say, well, Mike for Mike Matheny took over a Ferrari. Never had a healthy Chris Carpenter. He never had Dotel or Rhodes in the bullpen. He never had Albert Pools. He never had a healthy Raphael Fercal. He never had a healthy Lance Berkman. I mean, there, there are so many things from that team. And he had a declining changed. Matt Holiday, too. Right. Uh, the, the things that changed between 2011 and the start of 2012. 
there's really no comparison between the, the team that Tony La Russa managed in Game 7 of the World Series and the one that Mike Matheny managed in Game 1 of 2012. Yeah, I think a lot of people, because of what happened in the 2013 World Series, pitching to Poppy consistently, yeah. people will never really want to give Mike Matheny credit for what he was able to do yeah. in those two seasons. And they'll say, Tony's fingerprints were still all over the team. He took over a Ferrari that was already a championship team. Meanwhile, this was also a team that won the World Series that was 10 and a half games out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to get there. A lot of people did not look at that team as a team that was built to win the World Series, including a lot of people within the organization. So he didn't necessarily take over a Ferrari, even with Albert Pujols being out of the equation. If you take out Pujols and Carpenter, isn't that kind of like taking the engine and transmission out of a Ferrari? It's like taking two wheels I was going to say, it's like taking <laughs> out the front two wheels and say, yeah. okay, now drive 10 miles and see where you can get. Yeah. We're looking forward to the weekend. It'll be great to have those Cardinals from the 2011 championship team in town. Michelle, I know you're going to go tomorrow to the game and you're going to be able to uh, witness the festivities. That'll be great. Yes, looking forward to it. And then I will be over at the ballpark on Sunday. Uh, I'll reminisce with Greg Amsinger about uh, the 2011 championship squad. And on Monday, you'll hear from Jason Tatum. We're going to talk to him over the course of the weekend and you'll be able to hear from him. And again, if you want to hear from Mark McGuire and John Mozalock on today's show, you can use the 101 ESPN app or go to 101ESPN.com and listen to our podcast. Great job all week long on uh, this show by the birthday girl for the week, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Are you going to just have a, you going to take it on into the weekend now? All month. That's what I like to hear. Birthday month. Emily month Palooza. Birthday. There we go. Nice. Michelle, this was fun. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Randy. You too. I'll see you tomorrow, actually. That's right. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.